This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday. It's the 19th of June. It's the weekend. Whee! It's going to rain. Boo! No, who cares? Because too much sun, apparently, you could get pregnant. That's according to the, uh, the, uh, the papers today. The seagull who attacked the concert pianist had to cancel the concert. They're a bit lethal, those seagulls, aren't they? Britain's richest vicar takes seven hostages hostage. Can you believe a vicar with 24 million? I couldn't work it out either. Uh, Royal Ascot goes all cheap and chavvy. The tattooed brigade go in. Ugh, ugh, ugh. And Princess Beatrice again. Or was it Eugenie? Which one doesn't work? Which one goes on holiday all the time? Which one loves the attention? Which one's the unattractive one? Owen Clarkson claims that the BBC asked him back to Top Gear only last week. He's got another gig. I think they've all got another gig, which is good news. And the diabetic, she went into a, a bit of a downward spiral in the back of the car. Luckily, she had dog biscuits, which apparently saved her. God knows what was in the dog biscuits. I was always told that if you're going to go under with a diabetic, uh, bit of a sort of an anaphylactic shock kind of thing, uh, you're going to need something sweet, glucose, sugar, um, anything with sugar in it that's very heavy in sugar. So jelly babies... What do I carry? I carry normally uh, jelly beans because they've got a high content of sugar and that can kind of take you uh, take you up to that better place again. Or failing that can take you down again, <laughs> depending on how you're feeling. Um, so if you want to live longer, you diet five day a month and that is enough. That is enough to get you uh, living longer. Uh, the rail suicide agony of the innocent drivers. And this is something that we talked about years ago on LBC, years ago. And it was a tube driver who I knew... And he had one of those people, I think they affectionately call them jumpers. As he was coming into the station on the underground, he could see that something was going to happen. But they used to come in at such a speed. Now they don't. They come in the moment they enter the station, they slow right down, mainly to deter people who throw themselves onto the line in front of the train. He said, and this person did it. He said, and I, I looked away. He said, I had to. Uh, there's a story in the paper today about, uh, you know, people who do take their own lives. It always di- it disturbs me every day when you read of people, you know, young people, sometimes young people. There's a 14-year-old boy in the paper today who used to listen to a rapper. I mean, to be honest with you, I seriously think that if you're going to be affected by listening to rap music, don't listen to rap music. He decided, for reasons best known to himself, because you'll never know now, um, that he was uh, he was in a bad place in his life. So when he hanged himself, he was playing on his iPhone this rapper's music. Uh, and this rapper talks about homophobia and uh, all sorts of strange things. Now, I don't know anything about this boy. I just kind of think that at the age of 14, if you're affected by something like rap music, then you really need to listen to something else. Because if that's affecting people really badly, and to take your own life at 14, it's absolutely atrocious. It really is. Don't bother repairing your washing machine. Uh, It's cheaper to buy a new one. They're only about a few hundred quid, aren't they? You can probably get a washing machine nowadays for about 150 quid. If not a bit cheaper, if it's a recon or something like that. Don't ever bother getting them repaired. It's seriously not worth it. You might as well get a brand new one and get the two or three year contract on it. I think if you buy from John Lewis, do they not offer three-year deals, I think? Much better. Much, much better. Uh, tattooed Royal Ascot. Again, the embarrassing old bags in the paper today. I mean, it really looks cheap and cheap. I couldn't care less what anybody thinks about tattoos. It's my opinion. I can't stand them. I think they look horrible. And on women, I think they look dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. This one woman in the paper today, she's got them all over her legs. Everything. You imagine what she's going to look like in an old woman where her skin goes all wrinkly. 
Oh, it's going to look disgusting. The moment she looks like a road map of the Sahara, it can only get worse. Only worse. And uh, to repair Parliament, seven billion. Seven billion pounds. If they move out for six years, we can reduce the price to 3.6 billion. And you think to yourself, well, quite, I'm assuming there must be an annual repair bill at the moment. What in God's name are they doing? Why have they not done this before? Why have they not spread the cost over the years? You know, we know how old the building is. We know that it's falling apart. We know that there are problems with various bits of it because of asbestos and stuff like that. Why have they just left it to now? Why have they just left it to now? Not a bunch of bozos. And, uh, and what else do we have to say? Oh, yeah, there was another one quickly I was going to do. It's uh, a secretary. Every day she saw this handbag in this shop and every day she went in there having a look at it. And, and then in the end, it got the better of her and she nicked it. And so she appeared in court and it's now the handbag was a thousand. She's had to pay nearly more than that uh, in court costs. So uh, obviously not the cleverest person. And uh, we will tell you about the uh, the columnists who are praising Boris. I know he said Bobby Boris for some reason. I don't know why. Praising Boris for his cab tirade. When we had a, a tirade about, you know, do one but not necessarily in that order. And then they've, they've got the cab driver of the paper today, and apparently he's, he's been targeting Boris for ages. He said he doesn't like him, you know, and I always think, well, that's great, but just get over yourself. Otherwise, it, it just becomes a little bit stupid, and Boris gives as good as he gets. And one of the columnists today has said, good for Boris, proud to have him as the mayor, standing up to people who sort of abuse him. If somebody starts abusing you, oh, my God, you take him out as far as I'm concerned. Don't hang around with these people. Why would you, why would you want to put up with stupid idiots like that? And this one's on the road. This one's actually on the road, so they don't like what Boris is doing. You know, like anything's going to change. I did say yesterday that uh, we thought it was terribly popular. Unfortunately, it was, it was, it was not particularly popular with a few other people. I said that, you know, as all the cab drivers are saying, you know, very shortly there won't be any black cabs in London. I thought a bit of a drama queen kind of thing to say, because there's always going to be black cabs in London. Uh, you know, people say we can't afford to do this, can't afford to do that. And we were trying to find out yesterday how much people earn. You know, how much an Uber driver earns, how much, um, you know, another um, uh, registered cab would earn, how much a black cab driver. And somebody wrote in and said a black cab driver about 40 grand a year. And I thought, and the rest of it. And the rest of it. Come on. The rates are fixed by TfL. I mean, it's not cheap, is it? It's not cheap to get in any cab nowadays. I mean, luckily, most of the ones that I get, I don't have to pay for. So, but I know exactly how much my cab costs. And believe it or not, the, the producer's cab costs more than mine. His cab, to get him home on a couple of his programmes, costs more than my one does, which I think is quite interesting. Only by £3, because I got the list the other day of how, how much everybody's journeys are, and your cab is £3 more, or the one that you, you book for, is it for you or for some, I can't remember, whatever it is, there's a list which comes out with all the cabs on it. Yours is £3 more. Oh, wait a minute, I can't hear you now. Why am I not hearing you? I've only got one side of my headphones working, by the way, Will. There's... So, uh, so, I, yeah, you sort of come in on, oh, so hold on a sec, wait, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen, see, on that side, yeah, do you know what's wrong? Okay, there's a button on the, on the desk, do you, do you want to describe it to me? No, you, wait a minute, yeah, go on, describe it to me. This is terrible radio, but interesting, actually, in exactly the same way as Nick Abbott went, the lights have gone again, and of course I laughed, inwardly I laughed, the lights have gone again, <laughs> he has to wave his hand and look like a windmill. You're now trying to see where it is, aren't you? <coughs> there is, yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's better. It's, it's, wait a minute. This is, so, this is... Do you know, honestly, every day I learn something new about the studio. Oh, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. That's much better. Sake thoughts, maybe not. Uh, right. Yesterday. 
Yesterday, yesterday, yesterday. Oh, yes, sorry, no, the, 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 the cabs. Uh, and I had this brilliant idea. Why don't TfL offer a discount for a day? Like we were talking about competition. You know, there's competition all over the place. So, in other words, you know, this radio station, LBC, is in competition with, you know, every other radio station. And so what we have to do, we up the ante to make sure that you don't listen to them, you're listening to this station. And that's why it works, especially at this time. It works very well indeed. We have the biggest audience share out of all the radio stations that you can pick up in London. The biggest audience share. And the reason is we've upped the ante. So I thought yesterday, what a brilliant idea. If TFL said, right, I tell you what, today will be discount Thursday. Every black cab that you take, they'll give you, you know, 30% discount. Now, I can imagine, if it was done voluntarily, everybody would be going, I don't think so. But then I'm thinking, you know, to get people back into black cabs, if it's suffering that much, and people are using Uber, and they're using all the other... Because they seriously must be, if if it's upset people so much. But I remember Addison Lee got the same stick from the black cab trade when they sort of started doing it. There's always been competition. It doesn't matter what business you're in. There's always competition. You know, if I open a toy shop and somebody else opened a toy shop, I'm going to look for, you know, trying to up my ante. You know, somebody opens a coffee shop near your coffee shop, you've got to offer better. You know, we'll offer you this, this, this and this, like all the pizza places do. They're offering a discount. So perhaps you've got to offer some sort of incentive so that people go back to using black cabs and maybe they don't use all the other cabs. And for the umpteenth time and for the thicko out there who seems to think that I take Uber cabs, I'll sue the back pants off you decided. I've decided I'm taking it further. I've never used an Uber cab in my life. I wouldn't even know what they look like. So there you go. But I think that'd be a good idea. That would make it more interesting, wouldn't it? Let's have a bit of competition. You could have black cabs going around with discount cab on it or something like that. You know, today you don't need to, uh, you don't need to tip. You don't, because you don't tip anybody else. I don't quite understand why we tip it. But there again, I don't quite understand why we tip hairdressers. So there's loads of people. You don't go into the supermarket and tip the person, you know, who puts your, your shopping in your bag, do you? You don't go to the post office, go, I'll have ten stamps, and there's a pound for yourself. You don't do that. You don't go to the fish and chip shop and go, I'll have cotton chips twice, and there's 50p for you. You don't do that. Why do we tip? Why don't we just get rid of tipping? It's a pointless exercise. You don't tip in Nando's, apparently, because you go to the counter and order your food. All they've got to do is collect it for you. So you don't need to tip there, but we tip in restaurants. We tip, well, in fact, now you don't have much choice. It's already put on the bill, but you can legally cross it off. Cross off the service charge. You don't want to pay it? Why should you have to pay a service charge? A service charge is that. It's a charge for their service. If you don't think you've had any service, don't pay it. I never understand why people go, oh, God, it cost me an arm and a leg. And some places used to charge service charge and then leave a bit on the bill blank for you to add more money. Never do it. Never do it. Never, ever do it. It's not worth it. Uh, So yesterday, a very good day yesterday. Very, very nice day yesterday. Getting a bit handy with the keyboard, by the way, Peter. Very handy with the keyboard, which is uh, very exciting. It's already got 100 pre-planned tunes in it. So, of course, me being me, I'm pretending I can play. Got 100 tunes, everything from Hark the Herald Angels Sing to some some lovely bits of classical as well. (laughs) I love stuff like that. But anyway, you know, yesterday was good for a reason. We actually had good service in a garden centre. Now, I like garden centres, full stop. I mean, I could spend quite happy days wandering around garden centres, but I've got a gift shop and everything else. But this this was an, an, an item that had broken on us. And I thought, are they going to... Are they going to do something nice? I'll tell you in a moment. It's quarter past four. Look at the team at seven this morning. Uh, not having control 
as to when you'd work overnight and not getting a pay rise either. Do you have sympathy for the tube workers who've said they're going on strike over the issue? We'll speak to another union who are balloting their members right now. And how do we stamp out terrorism? The PM will be giving a landmark speech on the matter. Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper and Labour leadership contender will join Nick too. So Nick and the team after the 7 o'clock news, which is after the morning news with Lisa Aziz and doing the papers today, Stanley Johnson, who is father to a certain mayor of London. You might or might not say rude words to people. Uh, Dean the cabbie says, nobody mentions the fact that hundreds of black cab drivers took war vets to Worthing for the day out. They did. That's what really, really annoys me, Dean. Every We used to have, on my programme, for the best part of two years, Geoffrey Riesel, who looked after radio taxis. He was always with me on the programme. Every year, I always talk about the drivers who take people down to South End. So don't really get your knickers in a twist over, you know, we didn't get coverage for this. I mean, are you doing it for coverage? Because if you are, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, it's like saying, oh, I'm, I'm giving money to charity. Did I tell you which charity I was giving it to? You should do it because you want to do it. And it did get mentioned. And that's what really annoys me. You know, if you can't get your facts right. I was listening to somebody earlier on talking to Nick Abbott. And I assumed they were on drugs. They were rambling away about the royal family and how they're above the law. Oh, no, that he didn't think they were above the law. But, of course, they are above the law. And Nick had to point it out in his own inimitable fashion. Which I always like hearing, actually. I love it when people put people right. You know, they think that they know you know, everything, and then you have to educate somebody and say, no, it doesn't work like that at all. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, Let's try and get uh, everything in this morning. As in, oh, I was going to give you the weather. And, you know, it's, it's the weekend. You know that it's going to be bad tomorrow, apparently. Tomorrow's going to be bad. They've said uh, there's going to be thunderstorms. I thought, great. Nick was saying, because he's, he's obviously got a garden, he said it'd be nice to have some water. Well, I predict he might get some tomorrow, which is good news. So yesterday, we had this thing. Lynn and I went out the other day, and uh, I put the baskets up, and we, you know, they're watering, and we're making it look nice and all the rest of it. And, um, and we bought a nice umbrella. A nice, it's a, it's a three-metre-wide parasol, and it's got the vents in the top, and, and it's really lovely. And so we bought a new base, because we didn't get the last one out of the base, so we had to sort of knock cut it in half but sort of unscrew the two bits of it so uh yesterday was it yesterday yeah yesterday no day before yesterday we had some high winds around twicken about 30 miles an hour anyway what what did it do as opposed to the wind sort of going up inside the parasol and coming out through the vents like they do on the big tents and stuff like that uh this one ripped it apart literally it bent the aluminium tubing that was holding this this three-metre umbrella up, and it's, I mean, really, so you couldn't bend it with your hands, and it literally bent over and snapped. So we're left with an umbrella, the, the top bit of the umbrella's all right, but it's the, it's the pole that's broken. So I said, we're going to have to go back to the garden centre where we bought it from, which is at Sunbury, which is very where, near where the new Costco is going to be. And so, and I thought about it, and I thought, are they going to, they're, they're actually going to say, well, why didn't you take the umbrella down? You know, if it was high winds. But the trouble is you can't spend your entire time looking out the door to see whether the wind is high or not. So anyway, you know, cutting our losses, we sort of manhandled the umbrella and the broken bit. And you could see where it had been broken uh, into my car. And so we've had to sort of, you know, prop it in there because the umbrella's so long. It's almost as long as the car. And so we toodle off up there. And I said to her, I said, do not be surprised if they don't want to entertain the idea of changing it. 
So anyway, so we go in there, and she's actually very good at doing things calmly. I mean, I'm, I sometimes get a bit ratty about things, you know, because I think, no, come on, good service is nice. You know, I've spent my money, quite genuinely, and uh, I'm looking for, you know, some good service. So anyway, we go in there, luckily we see the same guy who sold us the umbrella, and, and she explained the problem, and he looked. While, while she was explaining that problem, I'm standing there holding this blasted thing. And a couple come up, they go, God, blimey, that, that could have been somebody underneath that when it snapped. I said, well, there could have been. I said, I'm surprised it didn't take out the pots on the wall because it was quite near the wall. And, uh, and then one of the girls who works in there went, I had that happen to me years ago. And, uh, and then so the guy came, so I thought, well, so far it's looking quite promising. So the guy came over and, um, and he looked and he said, maybe there's a fault in the, in the metal. There might have been metal fatigue. I mean, I don't know. You'd have to put it under an electron microscope to find something like that out. But either way, he said, it's, I'll, I'll get you another one. Not, you know, didn't bat an eyelid. Didn't bat an eyelid. The fact that, you know, this thing had broken. We'd only bought it on the Friday from him. So to take it back, you know, a week later, we'd only had a few days use out of it. But anyway, we have a new one now. And we put a sign on it saying, you know, if at night time there's a bit of wind, wind it down. Wind it down so we can keep it a little bit longer than last time. But I thought that was a nice thing to do. It's nice when you get sort of somebody who's actually quite nice about something and doesn't question going, well, you know. And that means that you will then go back to that place. So I tweeted yesterday, thanks to Adrian Hall. Because, and she said, we, 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 we'll keep coming back, obviously. Because when you get good service from somewhere, you want to go back. You've been to a restaurant where you have nice service, nice food, and then nice to you. You want to go back. If you go in somewhere, they go, what do you want? You go, um, I'd like a table for two. Well, we don't have a table. And it becomes a bit like Faulty Towers. Then you don't want to go there. But in the case of, you know, the, the garden centre, going back there and meet. In fact, I'm going to go back there. Uh, not today, probably tomorrow. Because they've got some quite nice... Um, Privet hedging stuff in pots, which I quite like the look of. And they're quite reasonably priced. So they, they get our business, which is good news, isn't it? So I did that and, uh, and then did all my other little bits and pieces and then sort of chatted away on the telephone to people. And then two parcels that I'd ordered arrived. So I was even, I was even happier about that. <laughs> and so all in all, yesterday was lovely. And then it got a bit too hot. And I thought, oh, dear. And then today we got a meeting. Today is what we call the, uh, the company meeting where we sort of analyse everything and people go, yeah, great, great. Yeah, it's all looking marvellous. And this is what we're going to look forward to. You know, these are some of the things, the new things that'll be happening on, on LBC. So it'll, it'll come as a big surprise to us as well, because I never know anything, me. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I sit there in the dark, practically, until people tell me something. I go, oh, right, interesting. So anyway, uh, 84850, steve at uk. And uh, we shall weave everything in on the programme. Uh, Noreen says, uh, tragic news from America, read, read the gunning. So easy to get a gun. His father gave him his gun. His father gave him the gun. They've called him a white supremacist. Um, I just prefer to call him a murderer. I don't understand, you know, why. It's like in this country, we tend not to have as much gun crime as knife crime. Hence that poor lad walking through a cemetery late at night gets knifed to death in some frenzied attack. And, and you think to yourself, what sort of people carry knives nowadays? Answer, scum. That's who carry knives, scum. You know, I think the sooner the police carry some sort of indicator so they can see if somebody's got a knife on them, because quite clearly for some cultures it seems to be quite normal. Well, I'd rather have them removed from society, make it an awful lot easier. And so you get a guy out there and you look at a picture in the paper and he's that baby-faced white supremacist. He's quite clearly got some sort of mental issues going on. He must have. You don't sit in a Bible class in a church which has been targeted before and go all the way through the Bible class 
all the way through till the very end, till they're just about to wrap up, and then he stands up, and then he opens fire and he kills, what, nine people? You can imagine, can't you, the, the horror that somebody has sat there with them, praying with them, and then somebody does something like that. You know, and, and then they, they lead him out yesterday, and he's got a bulletproof vest on to save him from being stabbed by somebody. <laughs> I'd have taken the vest off him, I'm afraid. I would have taken the vest off him. And somebody shouts out, why did you do it? You know, somebody who can go out there and destroy people's lives. And he just looked blankly at them. He just looked blankly. It was like, you know, that uh, Anders, uh, what's it, face, the one in Denmark who killed all those kids, went on that spree. Somebody's apparently picked on him in, in prison. I wish they bloody well would. I wish they would. I mean, it is terrible. So I, I agree with you, Noreen, that this, uh, you know, even Obama has said countless times, you know, this knife culture and gun culture, especially gun culture in America, the, more, the amount of loonies that must be going into their colleges on a daily basis, I mean, is, is absolutely atrocious. You never know from one day to the next, do you? Uh, Noreen's off on a jolly on Saturday, your favourite place, Oop North. <laughs> I hope the weather's good for you. It doesn't, it doesn't look promising on, on Saturday at all. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you it's going to be an absolute heat wave. But uh, so far, you know, it, it don't look very promising. Uh, 84850. John says, great idea, 30% off cab fare. No, I'm just saying, you know, once a week or something like that. Also be a good idea if TFL allowed us to buy a cab that's half the price of the ones we have to use. On the other hand, John, get another job. You know, why not? Why not? You know, put us away cabs. I mean, my uh, my my car costs more than a cab. But there again, I'm, I'm not using it for, for minicabbing or anything like that. I did think about it once, actually. I, did think, I could probably make quite a bit of money cruising the streets of London. Who's going to be looking out for a Bentley? Not many people. Not many people. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Black cabs have to, get, uh, have to get rid of don't go south of the river attitude. Uh, many people don't live in central London anymore, so cabs have to chase the money everywhere. Yeah, they do do this. Some of them do the south. I don't know where the south of the river thing came in. To be honest with you, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's in the mists of time somewhere where somebody obviously went, listen, don't go there. There's a chance of getting robbed. Then somebody complained to me yesterday and say, you, there's no point in getting an Uber cab because, um, because you don't have that privacy screen. And I was thinking, what privacy screen? Oh, and then I thought, oh, in, in the black cab, you've got the glass there. And I was tempted to say, but, but they can listen to your conversation. I've had conversations with, with drivers. They've got a little microphone at the front and there's a microphone at the back. So they must be able to listen in. Mind you, my conversations are dreadfully boring and dull. I wish I, wish I could tell you they were interesting, but they're, they're not really. <laughs> 84850, steve at So I said to you before, when they were talking about the, uh, the hacking of the, of the phones... I was uh, I was secretly hoping that I was going to be hacked as well in my phone. Seriously. If they were paying £188,000, I'd have been more than happy to take that money. More than happy. Uh, 84850-steve-at-lbc.co.uk. Very quickly. Let's try and... Uh, wait a minute. Let me just quickly do this one here. Now I'll look at the, uh, the, uh, the papers. Uh, the Princess Royal had to appear in court over one of her dogs, says Sandra. Yes, I mean, I, I, th- I don't think she appeared in court. I don't think the royals appear in court. Uh, she did have a dog that savaged one of the uh, the Queen's dogs, didn't she? I believe. And um, Roger Mugford, of course, I know very, very well because he used to be on LBC for years. All these people you see on television as dog behavioural experts, they all started life on LBC. All the gardening experts, the DIY experts, everybody all started on LBC. Uh, then there was the, uh, the advice in the paper today. Uh about the uh, the Muslims and the Prime Minister now say that you now says quite openly that UK Muslims are helping the jihadis 
He says communities have got to stop quietly condoning the barbaric IS. He's quite right. On the other hand, I watched a panorama investigation last night on the BBC about the uh, systematic sexual abuse of children in Rotherham. And we'll talk about that in uh, a moment. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday, 19th of June. Christopher will be on his way in now, doing the travel for us a bit later. He's, he's very easily bought, not just with travel, but I said I'll, I'll bring in some Watsits. And he said, possibly, he said it could be the highlight of my Friday. So I went and bought a big bag of Watsits yesterday. You know those cheesy things, if you get them on your fingers, your finger goes orange. And uh, so I've, I've got a few packets of those. I have to be honest, I've eaten about three packets myself. They're a bit moorish. But then we've also got donut peaches today and we've got satsumas. I'm trying to be healthy, but too much fruit, not so good, not so good. And uh, you've eaten both your peaches, have you? Yep. Producer not feeling too good this morning. Not as sparkly as, you know, as, as he could be. But uh, it's the weekend, and I think, I think next week he's off to Glastonbury, if you please. Sit in a field with another load of people wearing Wellington boots. Actually, do you know there is a spare pair of Wellingtons behind Tom Swarbrick's desk? <laughs> um, which they, I don't think they'll be big enough. But uh, I don't know how big Tom Swarbrick's feet are, actually. I've never, I've never actually looked. But they bought him a pair of Wellingtons when the floods were in, so they could actually get out there and interview people. Which I thought was quite nice, wasn't it? Nice thing to do for somebody. Actually, I think everybody should do something nice today. Everybody should do something nice. I can't, I can't think what, but just something. Uh, David says it's a scorcher here in Bangkok. Only 34 degrees this weekend, a reverse heat wave. Sorry. He says, but I do love listening to you in my classroom in Thailand. Well, to be honest with you, heat waves and Steve Allen do not go together at all. They really do. I mean, heat. And yet, strangely enough, strangely enough, I was brought up in countries that were boiling hot, you know, having been brought up my early life in Egypt and in Hong Kong and places, Yorkshire, not quite the same. And, um, and it, was, uh, it was boiling hot over there. Anyway, talking of Yorkshire, so Panorama do this programme where they look at the systematic abuse of over a thousand girls by Pakistani men in gangs in Rotherham and the huge cover-up. The huge cover-up seemed to go, I mean, just everywhere. The, the headmaster of a local school... Uh, had girls going to him saying that they were being targeted by these cab drivers. Uh, then it turned out there was a white woman who liked wearing Pakistani clothes who was grooming these children as well. He went to the social workers. They accused him of interfering with something. And then the police visited him and made threats against him, saying this is an ongoing situation. They later withdrew the threats against him. To be honest with you, the cover-up in Rotherham was immense... I mean, quite 46 police officers are being investigated in Rotherham at the moment under allegations of covering up. Girl, one girl who was raped so many times, she was taken to a flat by these uh, men. And for years they operated and they quite blatantly said to her, they quite openly said to her, we'll never get touched for this. They thought they were untouchable. Luckily, there's a few more appearing in court and, and and people just covered it up because they were frightened. They thought, oh, no, if we mention they're, they're predominantly Pakistani men, then it'll be racist. Now people are saying they that all these girls are now suffering the after effects of it. Seriously. I mean, the girl was raped from the age of 12. From the age of 12, passed around from men to men to men to men. And nobody did anything. They didn't have anywhere to go to. They had nowhere to go to, nobody to talk to, nobody to complain to about it because nobody believed them. Nobody cared about them. They were just children, weren't they? <laughs> Cannon fodder. Couldn't care less. Fish and chip paper. You know, go sort out your life elsewhere. And so the, these men were able to get away with it for years. And they showed you scenes in Rotherham 
the one of the uh, the coppers in there, who appeared to be a little bit complicit in covering up these sort of things, uh, strangely got killed by a car running him over a short while ago. That was a really odd one. You know, you began to think there are strange forces that were... I wouldn't want to go to Rotherham if you paid me. I really wouldn't. It seems to be a breeding ground for every sort of predatory paedophile that is known to exist. I mean, these girls, some of them 11 years old, and nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. Social workers, oh, well, not sure about that one. And every time they mentioned it to the police, that's why there's so many police officers being investigated, they said, uh, you're interfering with an ongoing situation. And so when they were asked to comment for the Panorama programme, they can't. It's an ongoing... It, it, it would damage it, you think. Seems to be the answer to everything now, doesn't it? People covering everything up. You know, if it was their own daughter, they'd be the first ones screaming from the, from the rooftops. But uh, it was a very interesting documentary, but disturbing at the same time. Really, really disturbing. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Catholic Boys. It's a very, very interesting film. And it's, it's, it's uh, Andrew McCarthy's in it. And he gets sent to a Catholic uh, sem- seminary? Seminary. And uh, where a lot of boys go. And I think there might have been girls as well. I can't remember. And uh, one of the, the masters working in this seminary school um, obviously gets off on hitting children. He obviously gets... That's his big thing. He likes beating them. And uh, the good thing about this film is that they, they have to put up with it. Because he's a, he's a nasty, violent piece of work. How he was ever allowed teaching children. This is a film, by the way. The real thing is even far more disturbing. And the uh, the end of the film is one of the boys he beats, and I think Andrew McCarthy's character goes in there and punches him in the face. And this bloke goes down. Well, that's enough to trigger him. And so he chases after him. He chases after him right into the school assembly. And it's one of those sort of stand on a chair kind of things like, you know, yeah, the whole school is suddenly realised and the headmaster and all the other teachers suddenly realise what a sadist he is. But it was nothing to do with the big problems they had in a Canadian children's home. This is nothing new, these stories. They've been going on for years. The Canadian children's home, uh, for years and years, had been run by a group of men who preyed on the boys. And the boys couldn't do anything about it. They were in there. It was a home uh, they were there to be disciplined, to be uh, looked after. They weren't capable of going out on the streets, whatever it happened to be. And they went there, and this went on for years and years and years. This is a true story. And one of the boys complained and got knocked back again, and it just got worse. One of the, uh, one of the men, one of, one of the teachers who'd done the abusing, got married, had two daughters, and moved away to, I think, Nova Scotia. Something like that. And started a new life, having left the, uh, the school. But he'd been abusing for years. And... The interesting thing was that one of these boys went to the police and said, listen, this has been going on for ages. Of course, they they were knocked back at every turn. The police constantly said to them, listen, just go away, because it was all explained away. The man who ran this academy uh, had said, listen, this is a troublesome child. You know, we've had a lot of trouble with him. And so consequently, the police left and, and nothing was done about it. But one police officer in this whole case, came forward and he, he sat down with the boy and he said, well, tell me what you know and we'll see what we can piece together. And he became the saving grace of all these boys because gradually more and more of them came forward. And he said, listen, you know, we have to get this, this teacher in court and we can only get him in court if you testify. And so the boy said, I can't testify, so I can't do that. Because by this time, he was, a, he was a teenager. His life had, had moved on. He said, I can't. He said, but I need you to do that. And anyway, the end result was, of this true story, that the police went to Nova Scotia and they found the teacher and they go, we're taking you to court. 
and they've got the boys to testify. And so uh, the boys testified in court. It was, it was a very interesting scenario. But exactly the same in Rochdale. They had nobody to talk to. Nobody believed them until later. And then we suddenly think, you know, this isn't just three or four people. This is over a thousand. Over a thousand girls were targeted by these mainly Pakistani gangs and used as sex toys. You know, how the parents come to... to... At one point, one of the fathers went round to get his 12-year-old daughter out of this flat where she'd been repeatedly raped. And the social workers called the police and the police went to arrest him. Went to arrest him. They said, no, she's happy where she is here. She's being. He said, if I'd known what was going on inside, he said, as opposed to just going to get my daughter back, he said, I'd have kicked the door down and to hell with the police. And it still goes on. The investigation still goes on. It's like, you know, will there ever be any end in sight? And the answer is, well, of course, there has to be. There has to be an end in sight for these girls. They have to get some sort of some sort of payoff at the end so they can see the people who perpetrated the crime go to prison and serve their time. You know, if you have to destroy families, kind of tough. Kind of tough. Uh, Dell says, why can't the black cab, Steve, run a loyalty scheme? After a few trips, you get a discount or a free ride. Yeah, like when you get a coffee. If I get a coffee from our barista, Dan, in the building, I get a little stamp on a car. I don't, because I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not, not that bothered about getting free coffee. Although I do occasionally. And, uh, and he, he puts a little stamp on it. So you could do that for black cabs, couldn't you? I think that, 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 that'd be quite a good idea. They've got to do something. It's no good complaining. You've just got to do something about it. You know, if, if everybody complained about it, people would just give up. You know, people could just give up and just go, oh, I can't be bothered. Let's, let's just go and do something else. Um, pum, 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 pum. Other stories in the, uh, the papers for today. And there are some good stories in the, in the papers. It's, it's not all misery, I promise you. Not all misery. Most of it's misery. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be in the newspapers. And this, uh, this rate-hate massacre gunman told his victims, you're taking over our country. So that's what he is. He's, he's a, a racist. But he's a racist with a gun given to him by his father when he was 21. What stupid father, pardon my French, ever, ever gives a 21-year-old a gun? You know, what, what sort of stupid family would that be? Here's a gun. For what reason? Why would you give somebody a, a gun? Really, really tacky. Uh, no way back. Jeremy Clarkson, why I snubbed Top Gear. He claims last week they asked him to go back. He says, I'm planning a rival car show. And that'll be good. A lot of people talking about Chris Evans and saying, you know, they're saying, oh, it's a new presenter. He's not a new presenter at all. He's a presenter for that programme. And then it turns out that the woman running BBC Two, quite rightly yesterday, said, listen, you know, we're not necessarily looking for a woman for the show. We're looking for the best person. It doesn't matter who they are. Black, white, green, pink, gay, straight. Who cares? Not going to find too many gays who want to talk about cars. Or are you really apart from the polish or something like that? And so uh, they're just looking for anybody. The right person who, who fits in. That'd be the good thing. Oh, look, we haven't had a good old picture of, uh, of Kelly Brook for a while. As long as she doesn't talk, we're fine. And here she is. She's posing in uh, at a bar uh, like The Godfather. She popped into Bar Vitelli in Sicily, where Al Pacino's character, Michael Corleone, talked to its owner about his beautiful daughter. And apparently Kelly's on holiday for a film festival, even though she's not in films. <laughs> Or, in fact, festivals. And, uh, and they were snapped having a cup of coffee because they take their own photographer with them. And so they go out there and they have a picture taken and then it, then it goes in the papers and then they're, they're, there's Kelly Brook again. Still with those hefty old hips, darling. I've noticed that, actually. The slimness has gone, hasn't it? Legs, 
so-so, but, you know, you're piling on the pounds, and for God's sake... Da- I mean, she's going out in the Sicilian sunshine in full makeup, so you know it's a setup. You know it's a setup. But we like things like that. Katie Hopkins' column, always good value. Always good value. Come round to that a bit later on. And uh, who we got? Oh, Princess Beatrice. That's the unattractive one in the family. How did Ascot again, dear? When are you going to start your job? When, when might we see you actually doing a day's work? Is there anything you can do now? Or you just swan around doing absolutely sweet nothing? Because that's what it appears to most people. Um, loads of other people there. There was um, some woman smoking a cigar. Might she's got a tattoo on her wrist, so that kind of puts her out of the feminine stakes. And then some right bimbos. Um, you know, really some dreadfully dressed people. It's almost embarrassing, actually, to ask it. But uh, as I say, pr- pr- Princess Beatrice. I'll tell you what, love, if we did a survey on who's the least productive member of the royal family. I think your family, your mum, your dad and uh, and your sister would kind of go way to the top of everybody's list. Why don't you do something useful? A bit of an embarrassment at the moment. In fact, not just at the moment. I think uh, I think all of the time. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, Somebody says, I've never heard of donut peaches. I had that the other day. I had that the other day with, with my friend Jez. I said, we'd like a donut peach. He went, what's that? I thought he was having a laugh. Mind you, he was the one who told us about black cod. And now we know that you can buy it in Sandy's, black cod. And then I said to him, would you want me to get you some? And he said, um, I, I wouldn't know how, how to cook it. I said, put it in a frying pan, I would think. Honestly, I don't think he's ever cooked in his life. I think most of his time, it's ready meals from Iceland. You know, toad in the hole or the Indian platter, 55 pieces, six pounds. You know, I think that's the kind of thing. I think anything above that really confuses him. So when I said, you know, I, I can get you the fish, he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do. I said, you just fry it in a pan, you know, a bit like any other sort of fish. Oh, how, how would I know if it was cooked? I thought, God, I mean, I, I mean, really? I mean, I don't cook and even I know how to cook fish. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Somebody pointed out that Cyril Smith came from Rochdale. Yes, it's grim up north, as they say. Uh, Matt is in uh, Florida, used to be in the army, obviously likes cats. Very untidy flat. Uh, and Chris says, I'm so excited to hear the, the Watsits. I'm rushing in now. Yep, we have them. You'll have to wait to the end of the programme, though. And tipping, according to uh, Joey, is for personal service and delivery to your home. You tip people that bring to your home, do you? See, this, 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 this to me is this big $64,000 question. Who do you tip? Who do you not tip? And why do we tip? Why do we tip? I mean, do I tip the, the, the producer if he does a good job on the programme? You know, if he manages to sort of, you know, make sure the right screen is up? You know, not that I'd ever nitpick over silly things like that. Other presenters might do that. I'm not that kind of person. You know, but would, you know, would I get to the programme and go, well, you've been very good today. Here's a fiver. You know, would that be the kind of thing that I would do? And then and you sort of, no, of course I wouldn't. You know, I would give him a tip, you know, like don't don't slouch, something like that. Or I'd give him some some donut peaches or he might have a sandwich or something like that. But I wouldn't give him money. That would insult him. <laughs> He's going, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it would. That would insult somebody. If you, get, you know, if somebody said to me at the end of at the end of sort of the, the, the month, you know, like my boss, would you know, would you like paying for that? I go, seriously? No, doesn't bother me. Seriously, doesn't bother me. <laughs> Not many. Not many. He was saying to me earlier on the producer, he said, when do we get paid next week? I said, I think it's, it's the 25th, so it'll be, it'll be the Thursday. He's very excited. He's, uh, unfortunately, he won't be here for it, because he'll be in Glastonbury, up to his knees in mud, in a field, watching some band like the Foo Fighters or the Rolling Bones or something. I don't know who's... It's not, it's not the Foo Fighters now. No. 
Oh, he broke his leg. Oh, right. So who, who's actually headlining at Glastonbury? Who, who is, who's the big draw there? Would it be Pickety Witch or, you know, Adam and his ants? The who? The who? Blimey. There's only two of them left. <laughs> I can see four miles and... Actually, I'm a big fan of the who. I know they don't talk to each other, and that's what makes it more entertaining, as far as I'm concerned. Pete Townsend had a little bit of an altercation with the internet a short while ago. And uh, he lives down uh, Richmond Way. But then, will they be doing all the hit, do you think? He's a pinball wizard. You know, Roger Daltrey's over 70. Over 70! Amazing, isn't it? He'd be, you know, somebody who's lived that, that rock and roll lifestyle. It's a bit like me. You know, I have that rock and roll lifestyle. Well, not really. And uh, so that'd be good. So, so you're going to see The Who. Who else are you going to see? Who else is on the bill? Would it be somebody like the Spicy Girls? Would they be up there? The Spicy Girls? No. Kanye West? Oh, that was the controversial one, wasn't it? Kanye West. Everybody was going, Kanye West? What? He fell asleep at some do the other day. He's quite old, I think, poor soul. And he'll, he'll be doing a medley of his hit, so that'll be quite nice. And uh, are, there, are, are there any sort of other surprises there? Apart from the who, Kanye West, and not the Foo Fighters. There must be some other people there that I, I would have heard of. Florence and the Machine. Is that from Magic Roundabout? Florence and Dougal. How marvellous. I love Dougal. He was very funny. Very funny on that one. So I like that. I don't know any of their, their hits, I'm afraid, so that wouldn't help. You know, so far you've not sold it to me, apart from The Who. But then, uh, you know, I don't know. I've seen people... A friend of mine goes to Glastonbury every year. Stevie goes to Glastonbury every year. And Lionel Richie. Hello? Is it me? You're... Yeah. He's on Sunday afternoon. I've interviewed Lionel Richie. I've interviewed Lionel Richard. It was a good interview, very good interview. All my, what do you mean? It was a good, they're all good interviews. That £5 note's gone out the window, hasn't it? Now, I was going to give him a tip at the end of the show today. <laughs> no, I don't tip. No, well, the tip would have been the 3.30 at Exeter tomorrow. It's <laughs> well worth going for thunder and lightning or something. I don't know. I don't Whatever it is. Uh, surprise, surprise. The broke boys from Blue, the ones who basically stick two fingers up to you lot because they can't be bothered to pay their tax because they've just spent it all. They've spent it on, you know, loose women. Well, not in Duncan's case, but, uh, you know, they've sort of spent it. Then they all went bankrupt except one. And that was Lee Ryan. And then, spectacularly, he went bankrupt as well. I wouldn't mind. I think he lives at home with Mumsy. I'm pretty certain. Anyway, they're all doing panto, with the exceptions, I think, of, uh, of Duncan James, because he's touring in Priscilla, dressing up in women's clothing. So he's found his true vocation in life. But uh, Simon Webb and Anthony Costa are trying to persuade Lee Ryan to do panto. Wait till you hear the crassest line you've ever heard. Ladies and gentlemen, members of Equity, listen very carefully. Very carefully. A source reveals Lee worries it'll be too embarrassing, but the other lads think it'll be stupid to reject all the offers. The other lads. They're in their mid-thirties. They're so old now. It's easy money. <laughs> yeah, right. You're right. Easy money. Ask anybody who does panto. Easy money? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's really tough money. You've got to work to it. You know, that's why they're all bankrupt, because they're idiots. Complete and utter idiots. You know, they couldn't be bothered to pay pay taxes. And, uh, and, and and they go, oh, great, you know, it's easy money to do panto. God, blimey. Ask anybody. Ask anybody. Carl says, why did the papers predict a heatwave at Ascot when it's clearly nowhere near that? I'm freezing going around the course. Why would you be going around the course at this time of the morning? It's a strange thing to do, isn't it? What are you wearing, vest and pants or something? Vest and pants. <laughs> I used to love that. Honestly, it was so funny. When you think of vest and pants, I still remember. I still remember putting my white chill-proof pants on and my chill-proof vest 
and an air tech. Remember air techs, vest and pants, <laughs> pants and vest with holes in it, and uh, and your mother would tuck your vest into your pants. <laughs> Thirty-seven I was when that stopped. Uh, another one here, very quickly, and uh, oh, I've lost it now. Actually, oh, where's that gone to? Where's that gone to? You stupid machine, come here. Come here. Wait a minute. Let me just... Uh, I've just sort of refresh things every so often because I, I, I can inadvertently read Nick Abbott's emails. And I, I don't like to because it, it's a bit rude, isn't it, really? Uh, I did like the story in the paper. And uh, the only reason I liked it is because I can understand what it's like to have an obsession about something. I understand, uh, except this particular lady is Elizabeth Morgan Reese, So she's common. Because only people with double-barrelled names, unless it's, you know, Pilkington Smythe. But if it's somebody called Morgan Reese, it's common. And she's dead common, this one here. And she repeatedly visited Fortnum and Mason. She became obsessed with a handbag that was £995. She comes from Chelsea, but as I say, she's very common. And uh, she'd been um, repeatedly visiting the London store to gaze at the designer accessory, £995 Fortnum and Mason handbag. She'd already been stopped trying to walk out with the tote bag before CCTV showed her lurking around it again on May the 17th. The next day, she picked it up and tried to leave without paying. Uh, prosecutor said she'd become obsessed with the bag and kept coming back to it. It was obviously calling her, buy me, buy me, buy me, steal me, steal me. And so she did. After a long battle... From eating disorders, bulimia, apparently that had driven her to the crime. So be warned, if you go on diets, you're liable to start thieving. The crap these people come up with, ladies and gentlemen. She says, I'm ashamed and would like to apologise for my behaviour. Well, you look ashamed, dear. On this particular occasion, I've been through a period of binging and purging. Oh, for God's sake, grow up, honestly. Anyway, she was found guilty. And uh, uh, she was fined £265, also ordered to pay £325 costs and a victim surcharge of 26 quid. Stupid woman. I love the way people use excuses, don't they? Oh, it's because I've been on a, on a diet and that made me go out. So every single one of you who's ever been to Weight Watchers, you're about to become thieves. Not. Ridiculous, honestly. So she was obsessed with it and uh, she was just a secretary, probably a, a now out-of-work secretary. We're still waiting. We never got the identification, did we? Of the old bag in the car, the 4 by 4 Eating her cornflakes or whatever breakfast cereal she was having from a bowl. From a bowl with a spoon. And we haven't got her named. Got to find her soon, haven't we? Come on, newspapers, pull your finger out. You've got the blasted car number. Can't be that difficult to find her. Perhaps, perhaps she's gone into hiding. I'm too embarrassed to go out. That nasty cyclist. <coughs> Actually, one of the uh, columnists, Sarah Vine today, takes the opposing argument and says that these cyclists are a menace because they're, they're shouting obscenities at... Uh, at sort of drivers and taking pictures and all this kind of things, and they've appointed themselves some sort of guardian of the road. So I thought Sarah Vine was a bit out to lunch on that one. I decided that, no, this cyclist... And I'm not the biggest supporter of cyclists. I watch them breaking the law every single day down here. Literally, just down here. You go somewhere else, you can find them all breaking the law. But uh, the cycling on the pavement bit, the next one I see, I'm going to push off. Simple as that. <laughs> go on, fall off it, you so-and-so. And, -so. and, um, and Sarah Vine was very anti this person and said, you know, this, these busybodies. Busybodies? There's somebody sitting there, you know, with something akin to a fruit bowl on their lap, eating cornflakes. And she thinks that's being a busybody. It's up to the law to do that. Well, there weren't any police around, Sarah. If we ever see you doing it, I shall be hanging you out to dry, my love, let me tell you. Hanging you out to dry. As indeed I would anybody else. 
Anybody else sitting out the wheel with a bowl of cornflakes? What a stupid woman she was. I hope she... I, mean, I wanted her, really, to ram into the car in front. Then we could have taken her to court. Would have been a lot easier. I think people like that are just a danger. An absolute danger. If she'd had a child in the car, that would have been even worse. A bit bored with Victoria Beckham. Oh, look at me doing charity. I'm doing charity. Here's another one of my ghastly child's outfits. And we're selling it. And um, this one here. And uh, this is uh, v- uh, Harper's designer outfit. This one is up for £3,700. I'm going to be sick, I'm afraid. You know, a mother who would spend that sort of money on a dress for a little child. I mean, really. £3,700. Of course, Victoria loves the publicity. And um, so don't don't worry, Harper. I'm sure Mummy will find you some other horrible-looking dresses to wear. As indeed most of your outfits appear to be. But obviously somebody loves them. And because it's got the word designer on it, and uh, Victoria Beckham is very nouveau riche, She's, uh, she's sort of new money, as they say. <coughs> she goes for that kind of stuff. It's the Emperor's new clothes all over again. Still to come, Phileas Mogg, the globe-trotting cat, 11,000 miles. You'll love him. He's been everywhere. He's been all over the place. He's been to Sydney, to Northern Ireland via London, and uh, he's microchipped, so they know where he's been. He just keeps going off on his travels, so we'll tell you about him after the news, which is coming up next. The hate maniac, the racist, who killed nine in the church after he'd finished a Bible class. He stood up and he shot nine of them dead. The Brits have moved out of a hotel after a kidnap bid went wrong. Their children were about to be stolen by a woman. The dog biscuit, which saved the diabetic's life. Seven billion pounds to repair Parliament. Tempted to say, let it, uh, let it fall down. Uh, The obsessed secretary we told you about. Today is the happiest day of the year. And the Muslim families who are blaming the police for their children joining ISIS. You've never heard of such a palaver in your entire life. Obviously the stupidest families in the world. Let's blame somebody. No, let's blame you. News is next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday. I'm resisting the temptation to shout whoopee, because I know that the weather's going to turn over the weekend, but whoopee anyway, because it's uh, Friday. Uh, The Brits who've moved out of the hotel abroad after a, a bid to kidnap their children went wrong. They couldn't find their little girl. They scoured the place, only discover a woman walking out of the hotel holding her. It's tattooed Royal Ascot. Yes, the chavs have taken it down market. A bit like Marbella. Nobody's bothering with Marbella at the moment. It's full of those ghastly Essex people. That's the one from the programme as opposed to the county. Today is the happiest day of the year. They've worked it out. They've sort of taken... Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Don't bother repairing your washing machine. Cheaper to buy a new one. And uh, the columnist who's praising Boris for the cabbie tirade. Can't make it up. And the probe into the fake online reviews. Because when you go to buy an item, you read all the reviews, don't you? This is the best thing I've ever bought. This is absolutely marvellous. And most of them are fake. Most of them are fake. Because you think to yourself, it was so funny because you know, I've got a book out. Did I mention I have a book out? It's so funny because there were a couple of unfavourable comments. Quite clearly, they're fake. We know that they're fake because why would you listen to a radio programme knowing exactly what the content would be? And then a book called So You Want to Be a Celebrity, which they then read... Uh, and and buy it, which, of course, they didn't. So they just make these things up because they're lonely people in front of computers. And now it turns out there's more of these fake online news. They're going everywhere. Sometimes the actual companies themselves put them on there. 
you know, this is the most marvellous item. This one did this and this one did that. And, of course, it's it's just absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Uh, sunbathing can help you get pregnant. I think that's because you feel good, don't you, in the sun, isn't it? I mean, I don't. But I know some people feel good in the sun and they like to sort of stretch out and sunbathe. I mean, a friend of mine who works on another radio station, his idea of fun, and I don't know why, is to get on his bicycle and go and lie in a London park sunbathing. I can't think of anything worse. Really, it's my worst nightmare. If somebody says, let's go sunbathing, let's not. Let's cover up completely. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson, front page of a couple of the papers today, he claims that the BBC asked him to go back to Top Gear and he said, I can't. I can't now. And anyway, I think they've got something else going with, uh, with Netflix. Netflix. Well, that's what I think it is. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but it doesn't make any difference. He said that they, they've got another programme in the pipeline. Uh, there's also a Sun investigation today into dodgy items you're buying. And everything now is, uh, can be made fake. Wherever you go, fake. And in fact, they just uh, discovered the other day thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fake condoms. Apparently, these uh, faked Durex condoms, uh, they're made in Shanghai, in illegal workshops. The packaging looks good. The pack- you know, everything about them looks genuine. But you're not going to be buying them in shops. You're going to be buying them at car boots and things like that. And that's where all the fakes come from. They all, so that's where they end up, in the car boot sales. People put them on eBay. They've got everything. And people think they're buying genuine. What did they find the other day? £40,000 worth of slimming tablets. Fake slimming tablets. Tablets that can seriously cause your insides damage. They can give you all sorts of illnesses. Uh, there's, there's one here. A condom user, Ben Fisher, who's an electrician from Bristol, said, I bought five boxes of ten Durex condoms for £10 from a market stall. My God. So five boxes of ten. That's 50. Good heavens above. That's a heavy weekend by anybody's standard. And he bought them from a market stall and thereby the alarm bell should be ringing. If you buy anything from a market stall, unless you know what it is, there's a very good chance it's a fake. Very good chance it's a fake. He said, I was uh, horrified to then because the, the first one split, the second one broke. And uh, and he said, I was later horrified to find that I caught chlamydia. He said, it's made me loads more careful now. I only ever buy condoms from chemists or supermarkets. My advice is only ever get them from supermarkets or from chemists. Don't buy anything from a market store like that. Seriously, there are even fake razor blades now. Fake razor blades. I went to a, a market the other day, uh, Northfield Market, and there were fakes being sold openly. I don't know if they've got market inspectors down there, but frankly, if I could stand there as a normal punter and watch somebody selling fake DVDs, I'm quite sure they could. Perhaps they know it goes on. Perhaps they, they sort of let those things go by because there's so much of it in this country. When they, when they found the other day loads and loads and loads of these uh, fake medicines, they went round a market and they found loads of fake medicines, fake aspirin, fake washing powder, biggest thing that's uh, manufactured. Fake, um, what was the other thing? Oh, of course, everybody knows about the, uh, the booze that they do, the fake stuff, because some of them blew themselves up a short while ago. This stuff is highly dangerous. But yet it looks so much like the real thing because they have now perfected the packaging. And once you've got the packaging right, you believe it's there. They can put barcodes on, they can put anything on, but it's fake. I mean, the very idea that somebody would actually go to the trouble of making fake condoms is hilarious. But yet, if you buy them from a market stall, they're going to be fakes. I wouldn't risk it. I really wouldn't risk it. That's why people go to markets and they go, it's cheap, you know. And you go, well, it is for a lot of things, but there's so much fakery going on there. Fake trainers, fake everything. 
I mean, the clothing fake market is hilarious. There's so much of it. So much of it, it would be impossible to stop. Impossible to stop. Uh, what else do we have here? What was this? Oh, the, um, the mum and gran of murdered schoolgirl Tia Sharp have been accused of a racist attack in a supermarket car park. Apparently, they went berserk at an East European couple in a row over a parent and toddler parking space. Why is it everybody's got short tempers nowadays? Have you noticed? People, they, they can't go five minutes unless there's some sort of dreadful argument going on about something. And you think, we must spend our entire life on a knife edge. Our entire life going, don't do that, you stress me out. Don't do that, you're really getting on my nerves. It seems to work. It seems to work, doesn't it? Every single day. We need to take chill pills nowadays. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Jane says, one ro- rock band I don't get is Queen. Really? See, I always got Queen. I thought Queen were, were, was Freddie Mercury because it was his voice that made the group sound the way that they did. But no, they've all, they've all gone on to do... I mean, I don't know how much money they've made. I'm assuming they've made a fair bit. There must be. I bought all the DVDs. <laughs> Adele says, vest and pants reminds me of doing PE at school when I forgot my PE kit. I know. That's, that's, we used to dread that. They go, you forgot your PE kit, Stephen? Well, you can do it in your pants then, can't you? Oh, my God. That was the worst humiliation. No, the worst humiliation was having to have a shower at the end of PE. Just to dread it. I was quite good at PE, though. I preferred it if we were outside. I didn't like doing anything in the gymnasium. Not my kind of thing at all. And another one here says, how awful is the Rochdale paedophile business? I can't understand... Uh, why they put people in prison for, say, tax evasion, but do nothing about it. Well, this has been the uh, the biggest cover-up of all time. As I say, 46 police officers being investigated. This, quite clearly, was a huge cover-up. They've now tried to find out whether or not the police officers were involved in the abuse of these girls up there, because luckily they've all started coming forward. This happened to them when they were 12, 12 years old. What sick pervert, you know, does something like that? Answer people. But it's not just confined to Rochdale. I think they found it in Oxford as well. Again, same group of similar people doing exactly the same thing because they think they can't be touched. It's like, what did they say in the paper the other day? There was a thing in the paper about the majority of cash point machines uh, broken into are Romanian gangs. Do we have a problem with Romanian gangs? Of course we do if they're thieving from us. I have a problem with any gang. I couldn't get us where they come from. Come from Timbuktu. And remember that little island I told you about, the Scottish island, where they have an, an honesty box there's only 26 people live on this island. Conversation must be slightly limited as to what they did today. Today I watched sheep. Lovely. What did you do? Um, oh, I think I watched sheep today. Well, that's it. Anyway, they have a little shop and people go in there and they leave it unlocked so that visiting sailors can go in there, buy something if they need a tin of something or whatever it happens to be, and put the money in the honesty box. And somebody nearly cleared them out. Somebody nearly cleared them out. And they, uh, and they took five woolen hats... Then it turns out that um, that they uh, they also robbed another shop on the island, which was selling beauty products, and they took about 120 quid's worth. And so the islanders, bless their hearts, in their simplicity, are saying, we might have to install CCTV. I thought, I'm surprised you haven't got it up until now. That's about £300 worth somebody's stolen from them. I mean, it can't be that difficult to find them. I mean, there's not that many people pootling around on boats, is there? But yet they've lost that amount of money. And, they're, and they're, they're so sort of, you know, with it. You know, they're sort of going, oh, well, so, you know, somebody's stolen that from us. You think, oh, I'd be out there wanting to kill. Only 26 of them. I don't know where the, where the stuff all, all comes from, really. Uh, what else we got here? Jane Tennyson 
is to return in a prime suspect prequel. Helen Mirren, who starred as the top cop, will be written, uh, will be back in it. Oh, love it. Oh, I hope so. Set in 1970s East London. Oh, no, it's going to be a, it's a prequel, so it's going to be a, a young Jane. It's going to be written, though, by uh, Linda LaPlante. So who, who could actually do it? Gemma Arterton, uh, Emilia Clarke, Sheridan Smith, Jessica Brown Findlay, Natalie Dormer or Jeremy Clarkson. He's eminently available, Jeremy Clarkson. And uh, Piers Morgan's going back to Good Morning Britain because he doesn't actually have any other work. So he's just sitting there twiddling his thumb at the moment, doing a little bit in his newspaper, saying, you know, what my week has entailed, which turns out to be not very much. So we're feeling a bit sorry for him. And he, as everybody, all the columnists have said, he does, he does need to get a job, bless his heart. He's an old man now and uh, he's got to sort of got to support himself. Has he not? We'll have a look through the uh, the Metro in a moment and we take more of your uh, texts and emails. 84850 steve at uk. You will love the story of the uh, the scorned husband who went when, when the court said your wife's got to have half of everything. He literally chopped everything in half. He went out there with a chainsaw. He's cut the car in half. He's cut the phone in half. He's cut the teddy bear in half. He's also cut the sofa, the bicycle, the laptop, the helmet and the bed. It's all cu- beautifully cut, I have to tell you. Beautifully cut, but they've all been cut in half. So he's selling his portion of the car for £2 and telling bidders if they want the other half, contact my ex. He's literally just cut everything in half. Imagine cutting the teddy in half. I think that's prisonable, don't you? I think that, that's a hanging offence, cutting teddy bears in half. Not so good. But uh, he says my other half can have that. Chops up all the assets after the split. Bless his heart. It's quarter past five. David Williams, he's a cycling instructor. And he uh, rode past a woman who was eating a bowl of cereal as she drove her red Land Rover Discovery, where you and I think park company. Mm. Sending the tape mm. to the police. That's, I don't know, I don't know what sort of, I don't know what, whether this expression applied when you were at school, but that's dobbing someone in. The issue is, it's 8.45 in the morning. Um, you're going into, oh shush, behave. <laughs> Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Every weekday morning from 7 on LBC. I like that, telltale. Telltale. <laughs> and then she goes, shut up. But one of the other columnists agreed, I've told you, Sarah Vine has said exactly the same. These cyclists who take pictures of motorists doing something. But I mean, I thought he was right. I thought he was right. And he, so he dobs her into the police. She's a crook. She should be hanged, ladies and gentlemen, or at least forced to eat sugar puffs or something like that. It's ridiculous to actually sort of be eating a bowl of cereal in the car. I mean, how dumb is this person? Answer, very dumb. I mean, she's got a red... Is it a discovery or something like that? A red one, I'm going to ask you. It's not, it's not sort of bright red. It was sort of another sort of red. So, uh, 5.20. I don't know why I mentioned that to you. Nick Ferrari and the team at breakfast not having control as to when you'd work overnights and not getting a pay rise either. Do you have sympathy for tube workers who've said they're going on strike over the issue? We'll speak to another union who are balloting their members right now. And how do we stamp out terrorism? The PM will be giving a landmark speech on the matter. Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper and Labour leadership contender will join Nick too. Uh, looking at the papers for Nick, it's Stanley Johnson, uh, who's the father to a certain Mayor of London. Uh, that's all after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. Steve Allen with you on the early breakfast. Pete says, I use Mac 3 razor blades and I've done so for a long time. A few years ago, I tried to save on the cost by getting them on eBay. Well, they were as blunt as wood and obviously fakes. Yes, It's the most nicked item, isn't it? Razor blades are the most nicked item. People steal razor blades because they're so expensive. That's why there's so many fakes. I mean, you can believe that somebody in China, you know, the home of the fake, 
is is actually manufacturing razor blades because there's so much money in them. There's seriously so much money, but they but they do break and they're very bad for your skin. You know, and I've got very delicate skin, quite quite attractive, I think. And uh, the very idea that I would use a fake blade, I'm afraid I have to pay over the odds for things. I'm just, it's just the way it goes. Um, eight four eight five zero, Steve. They call these flat peaches, donut peaches, to make them more appealing to children. Oh no, I just I, they look like donuts. That's why I love them. I seriously do love them. I've, I've got uh, bought a bag in this morning. Producers had a couple. He liked them. He's very pleased with them. And also, it's part of his five a day. So I felt as I was helping towards his well-being, his health. You know, looking after him. Not quite clear. The wife isn't doing it at the moment. Yeah, he does need a lot of help. <laughs> he says I bought them last week as mountain peaches. Sorry, mountain peach. I'm looking at... I told you, I'm... Uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I nearly said something wrong then. <laughs> Bound to get me into trouble at some point, I can imagine. Uh, Steve, uh, maybe Claire Balding should be in the prequel to Prime Suspect. I'm sure she'll welcome the work. Well, she's hardly ever working, is she now? I mean, she's a recluse. A recluse. She sits there doing nothing at all. And uh, Richard says, what happened to Piers Morgan? I thought he bagged that top TV interviewer's job in America, taking her from Larry Watts' face with the braces and the glasses. What happened there? It died. It died. The American people just didn't take to Piers Morgan at all. So he had to come back with his tail between his legs, you know, with the word failure written over him. You know, it's not... And so he's had to eat humble pie, but he's made a lot of money, so he doesn't care. He's been on one of those panel shows. Um, some of the things he understood, a lot of it was way out of his out of his depth. Because now that they, they've got rid of Louis Walsh, they've got rid of Mel B, and who else they got rid of? They got rid of somebody else, although three of them went off the panel. And uh, what they should have done is kept Louis Walsh. I should have kept Louis Walsh, because he's the only one on the panel who knows all about that sort of thing. You don't seriously expect that that grimy bloke knows anything about popular music. No, he knows about boozing it up with Harry Styles and Kate Moss and those sort of, you know, people of that ilk. But he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about pop music at all. He wouldn't know, a, wouldn't know a hit artist if they came out and bit him on the bottom. But uh, I suppose they seem to think he's going to appeal to young people. I confidently predict that he will appeal to nobody. On that panel. Not because he's not any good, it's just that he doesn't have that television likability. I don't know why people on radio think they're going to make it on television. He had a game show on there. It was so awful. So, so dreadful. It made Keith Lemon look professional. It was, it, seriously, and that, that takes some going, I'm telling you. That really does. Very, very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. And um, I blame EastEnders and Corrie, says Dennis. But the amount of people flying off the handle at the slightest thing nowadays. I mean, people in EastEnders and Corrie, they're never off each other's, other's throats. And do you remember Ina Sharples, Minnie Caldwell, Martha Longhurst, Albert Tatlock, the Ogdens and the Duckworths, to mention a few, but it's gone. Really, it's sad. It's all down to television. He says, I don't go there anymore unless the Discovery Channels. I'd rather see how they build bridges. And then uh, there's Crossrail and the Shah. That's my sort of viewing. I'll tell you what I liked, and I didn't damage the teeth with the rock candy. Big Rock Candy Mountain, Dennis, who's from Banbridge. Plumbing, heating and electrical services to the gentry. The landed gentry over there in Ireland. Um, no, I mean, I enjoy those programmes. There's one at the moment, I can't bear the presenter because it's Greg Wallace, but it's, it's looking at how things are made. And so they go into a... Uh, there's all this milk. There's a farmer. They were interviewing a farmer on this programme and his cows, I mean, it was, it was ever so clever, they go in when they want to be milked by themselves. They go in there and nobody nobody pushes them in there. The whole thing is automated. So the cow will be outside eating the grass and it goes, oh, I've really got to offload this milk. And so by itself, it wanders in. You know, the other cows are wandering in there. goes into this machine and the lasers underneath detect the teats 
and it puts the thing on perfectly, absolutely perfectly, and it milks the cow, and then they're, then they're let out, and they just wander out again. And, it's, and they do it all by themselves. If the machine breaks down, it phones the farmer. I mean, it's the cleverest thing you've ever seen. It's automated. It made, you know, the day before the farmers have to wash the teats and then put the things underneath it. This is totally automatic. It's been in operation for six years. People are superfluous to this farmer. But then it showed you what happened to the milk. And they took it to this huge factory, huge factory. And I didn't twig what it was. And they said, and we put 60,000 gallons in here. And then we put some vanilla essence in. I'm thinking, oh, it's sweeties. Nope. Ice cream. Ice cream. This particular factory was making magnums. Magnums. And uh, they, they get chilled and they get made and then dipped in chocolate. It looks terribly messy. But at the same time, it's an ice cream factory and they make those things. It was a walls one and they make twirly things and I think vionettas and stuff like that. I remember thinking, now that's interesting. I watched them making on another one of these programmes with Greg Wallace. Uh, he's not the best presenter. He doesn't have the likability factor as far as I'm concerned. But I still watched it. and It was about Kit Kats being made. And how they make huge sheets of Kit Kats. Huge, huge sheets. And it reminded me when I went up to United Biscuits in... Where did they make um, those? I think it might have been either Liverpool or was it Manchester? Might have been Manchester, where they made wafers. They made wafers. And big sheets of wafer. And then this, this stuff in the middle of it. Oh, it's terribly clever. And they used to do all sorts of... Lovely, famous cakes and biscuits. I love anything like that. I mean, absolutely love it. And so I, I could happily watch for ages and ages people who were making these things. So when you get a television programme on, how do they make that? I want to know all about it. I want to know absolutely all about it. I want to see exactly how these machines work. And it's all machine done. All you need is people to sit there and operate the machinery. But the rest of the time, it's all robots. They, they pack the thing. They do everything. Robots do everything. Malcolm says, how would you know if the vending machines in a pub toilet contained fake condoms? Uh, well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. But as I'm assuming it's the company who owned the machine, they would be the ones to fill it up. That's what I would think. So that's why the pub machine wouldn't, because it's not filled up by the landlord. It's filled up by the person who owns the machine. Uh, my eldest son, Dom Steve, is in his late 20s, loves designer labels. So for his birthday, Dom's partner, Jack, got a Louis Vuitton piece of hand luggage for him from a shop in London. Cost a fortune. I'm not a fan. To me, the bag just looks ugly, says Caroline. But people like, you know, that, that said something, doesn't it? You know, people go, this is Louis Vuitton luggage. Now, on certain people, I would go, that's genuine Louis Vuitton. On other people, you know, you see the girls walking around the market with the fake Chloe sunglasses on and, and the fake Chanel bags, and you know it's fake. You can tell by the way they walk, it's fake stuff. They couldn't afford the real thing, so they have to buy the fakes. And they think that we think that it's, that it's good. pound fifty for one peach in St John's Wood, says Tony in Maida Vale. Wow. Wow, one pound fifty for one peach. I spent two pounds and got a load of uh, a load of these peaches, load of them, which I think is uh, good. Uh, another one here. Uh, Nicholas says, "Why do celebrities think cap teeth look attractive?" Well, some of them do. Some of them do. I mean, I'm I'm always surprised. They had a bloke the other day. I don't know who it was. He was doing the right stuff on television. Obviously, Matthew Wright back into uh, another holiday or something. I don't know what he's doing, but he's had another holiday. He can't seem to work five minutes, that boy. And so they had some bloke on. I didn't even know who he was, which is a bit embarrassing. When you turn on the television, you go, who's that? I mean, some of the... I know Kay Adams, and I know different people have done the programme. But they had this bloke on. I had no idea who he was. 
And that's always embarrassing, isn't it? Because I'm supposed to know who most people are, judging by the sort of programme that I do. But him, I had no idea at all. Uh, Steve, the tube drivers don't know if it's day or night anyway, do they? They only have to work, is it seven nights in a year? In a year? Good God in heaven, honestly. They're going on strike over that. Blimey, hardly worth bothering. Honestly, these unions, they have to justify it, don't they? They want to be famous, the union leaders. A bit like sort of members of the royal family, like Beatrice and Eugenie. You know, they want to be famous, so they sort of toddle around not actually doing anything. Waste of space. Steve, I bought some cheap tobacco, says George, in Somerset. Packaging perfect. Smoked half a roll-up. Felt ill all day. But of course, because you've bought fake tobacco. You can buy it um, all over the place. Uh, mainly car boot sales sell fake tobacco and it comes from China, it looks genuine and the cigarettes look genuine but they're all fakes and uh, you make yourself ill there's a chance you could probably pick up some rather contagious diseases because I wouldn't like to go into at the moment exactly what the fake tobacco uh, contains or what the fake cigarettes contain but you know, I think if you go to a, a market or a car boot and you buy something like that, it's your own fault it's your own fault. You know, you're, you're the one who's going to become ill with it. I loved Queen, says Angela and Freddie Mercury. The voice always uplifts. uplifts, uplifts. I was surprised here recently. One of his uh, parents was from India. Yes, he's Indian. Yes, that's exactly what Freddie Mercury was. I thought everybody knew that. His name's uh, Freddie Bulsaro, isn't it? I think. It's 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday the 19th of June. And it's the weekend. Actually, uh, Edward Gleave is the TV editor of the Daily Star. And I'm not sure if this... He he tweeted something earlier on, and I'm not sure whether or not it's tongue-in-cheek or he's being genuine. It's, It's for the first time ever, I don't know. He tweets here, I'm not sure why they didn't convince Sarah Jane Crawford to return to Extra Factor when her presenting last year was so understated and polished. Because I thought she was the worst presenter I'd ever seen on the television. And I don't know if he's being sarcastic by saying, you know, her presenting last year. I'm hoping he's being sarcastic as well, because she was a dreadful presenter. Absolutely one of the worst presenters I've seen on television. Next to Christine. Hi, you. Bleakly. But, uh, that's just my opinion. Luckily, we're in a free country. Hi, you. I'm good. Go away. Oh, you're wonderful. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. Let's go into the kitchen and cook something. Here's me in a bikini. Oh, put it away, please, God. Anyway, this Sunday and every Sunday on LBC, it's In Conversation between 5 and 6am on a Sunday morning, repeated on a Sunday evening between 9 and 10 and available as a podcast. It's my In Conversation where two well-known celebrities join me and chat about all sorts of things. We have 25 minutes to talk to them and try and get as much out of them as possible without deviation. Oh, that's another programme. My first guest this week, it's an old gag, is a fantastic television presenter, radio presenter, comedy writer, not to forget a former barrister. It's Clive Anderson, who joins me to talk about his time out of the limelight, and the live version of Whose Line Is It Anyway, which I think starts tomorrow at the Adelphi Theatre. And of course, I couldn't miss the opportunity to talk to him about that bust-up with the Bee Gees. What was sort of uh, disturbing for me is that I didn't think I'd really got going on anything difficult. I was just joshing about how old I was, and so I remembered them from way back. And, and I, what I was doing, uh, it turned out, it was trampling on a lot of raw nerves. That I was, I was, I was more of a blunder than anything. Del- if sometimes I've done interviews with people, and I have been, you know, I'm going to challenge you on this, or this was dishonest of you, or this was, you know, this was a disaster, and why did you? But I wasn't doing that with the Bee Gees. At least I didn't think so. I was sort of jollying them along. It, it did didn't help that there were three of them because it meant that you know one could be brooding over what I had said to him while I yeah. sort of moved on to him. So it was a little bit precious. It was a case of 
First of all, one one got up and left, and yeah. I thought, okay, fine. By that time, you're sitting there probably because I remember I think David Frost had a guest who just got up and walked off. Yeah. I think well, most people, are, but they're normally, you know, as I say, tough interviews that are going on. And I've more often had people joke about it. So I thought, oh, they must be pretending. Or, oh, I didn't like that question. Oh, I'll get out and walk. Oh, ha, ha. And they <laughs> But anyway, it's, well, sadly, of course, the Bee Gees are... There's only Barry left now. But uh, mm. at, the, at the time, my producer, who produces Whose Line as well, wasn't in the studio for that particular show. And he was a big music fan. And he was in America. And he phoned me when I got home and said, oh, Clark, I had to go with the Bee Gees. Did you get them to sing? Did they, Did they? you know, what did they... I said, oh, no, uh, Dan, they, they walked off. He said, no, 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 don't be silly. Uh, <laughs> said, no, they did. <laughs> They did. They walked off one, but I remember it, and uh, and and I thought, you know, if I'm going to be fortunate enough to talk to uh, to Clive, then I have to ask him about it. And so as he he thought he was just joshing, he thought he was just joshing with them, and and it it backfired spectacularly. So when the producer phoned him and said, you know, do you get them to sing? Really excited, but no, no, they walked off. <laughs> you go, why? What did you say to them? Anyway, you can hear more on that interview on Sunday morning with Clive Anderson. He's back live on stage at the Adelphi Theatre. And I think they're down there for about two weeks. And uh, well worth going to see for fans of Whose Line Is It Anyway. My second guest is a comedian, a writer, a playwright, a singer, a journalist, a producer and an actress. She is the whole package. It's Mira Sayal. Now, she came in to talk to me about her latest book. It's called The House of Hidden Mothers. And all of her latest ventures as well, including being awarded a CBE and what the process involved. Apparently it takes 18 months. You're vetted for 18 months. I don't know if there's someone following you around with a notebook to see Ooh. if you're being a good citizen yes. or not. Don't want to give it to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you, you get it from them. Yes. And then, and then do you sort of decide, yes, I will accept it or no, I will not accept it? Yes, that's more or less it. Yes. Did you have any hesitation? Well, if I did have that, would it, I should have done that on the first one. Yeah. It's, uh, once you've accepted, you've accepted one, one, it seems a bit weird to go, oh, no, I don't think I'll have the other one. Um, I think more of the discussion went on the first time because, yeah. you know, obviously there have been plenty of people that don't accept them and for very yes. good reasons. Yes, yes. I, I actually asked my parents... I said, look, you it didn't. I did. So I said, it kind of doesn't matter to me either way. It's very nice to be asked, but it doesn't really fundamentally change your life in any way. No, but it's such, it's, it's, it's an acceptance from the establishment. Yes, and that depends whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, doesn't it? I mean, that's where mm. the, you know, the Beatles or there's plenty of people that have refused them or given them back. But my parents said, look, we grew up under the British Empire yeah. and I'm from a family of freedom fighters on both sides. Right. So we're quite instrumental in getting the British out. So they <laughs> said, we rather like the fact <laughs> that the Empire's giving you They've a medal. Around. <laughs> yes. Lovely lady, really. Every time, that's about the second time I've talked to Mira Sayer. Her, her book you will, will love, The House of Hidden Mothers, and um, it's a true story. It's, well, it's a true, true events that happen, and she's been backwards and forwards to India, and she'll tell you the full story on Sunday morning on LBC. Really good interview. Both of them really, really good interviews. Actually, I say that every week, and it's beginning to bore me when I say, but sometimes, you know, I, I, the interviews come in, and we go through the list, and we sit down, and we go, yes, I'd like to talk to that person, and they come in. And I've always said, there's, there's no, I never understand why anybody ever has a bad interview, because somebody's coming in to talk about something they know lots about. I'm here to be educated about it. We just have a good old natter. It's not really an interview situation. It's just it's just a bit of conversation, hence being called in conversation. And you can download as well. In fact, if you go and you're lucky enough to have subscribed to the LBC podcasts, which you can find details of on our website, lbc.co.uk, you can see all the celebrities have been in. And uh, it's uh, an absolute plethora of some of the biggest names in entertainment. 
We do tend to concentrate mainly on entertainment. Although perhaps I, c- I could widen it out a bit, actually. I'm sure I talked to somebody who wasn't in entertainment, but I can't think who it was. And so go to the LBC website to learn about podcasts. You can download all of them, as indeed you'll be able to download Mira Sayal and Clive Anderson this week as they uh, as they appear on LBC. And then I'll be here live on Sunday morning between 6 and 8 as we wander through the Sunday papers. Most of the uh, the papers today appear to be divided over the cyclist taking the picture of the woman eating at the wheel. And uh, somebody has, has written in to the um, the Metro. says, just when you think you've seen it all, a woman gets caught on camera eating a bowl of cereal whilst driving a car. It's a pity it wasn't a police officer who approached the driver. I know patients diagnosed with psychotic disorders who have more sense and consideration than that person munching through the bowl of cereal. Yes, and, and then people have said, well done you know, for confronting her. It's a pity more people don't take a stand. What a ridiculous woman. She should get a ban and points. And then somebody else says, let's hope the fact he confronted her makes her see the danger. Well, I mean, she's quite clearly too stupid to realise how dangerous it is to eat cereal. I mean, now you can't even believe it, can you? You know, you could understand it if it was something like, you know, she was painting by numbers or something like that. Or, you know, I think it should carry exactly the same as being caught on the telephone. She's caught at the wheel of the car, with a bowl of cereal. A bowl of cereal, mind you. Not a cereal bar, not, you know, crunchy nut cornflakes which she was eating dry. No, a bowl of cereal. A bowl with a spoon. And uh, people people then started complaining about the cyclist, saying, you know, there's all this criticism of motorists when it comes to road safety. Every morning I witness countless idiotic cyclists swarming around buses and lorries, speeding through red lights on pavements. I'm surprised, says David, writing from Kent, that I haven't witnessed a serious accident. And David from Facebook says, as much as eating a bowl of cereal is irresponsible, I can't help feeling the cyclist has an arrogant attitude. Well, can you imagine how you would have felt... How, how different the talk would have been if that woman, eating the bowl of cereal, driving down a motorway maybe, because she's quite close to the motorway there, very close to the M3, because she was at Hampton Court. So I've worked out she's in Isha. And I'm surprised that the papers haven't found her. I'm surprised that they haven't, and the police haven't prosecuted her, because I think that eating at the wheel... I mean, in theory, the cyclist has done the right thing, and he appeared to be all sort of tooled up, didn't he? He's got his camera and he's got his bits and pieces and his go-faster stripes and everything else. He's probably got a bell to ring and he ring, 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 ring. And uh, you're right, we do see cyclists breaking the law every single day. Not all cyclists do, but some do as well. I mean, we were going over, we were just coming up to Waterloo Bridge the other day on the bus. Not with Nicky, my favourite bus driver and a few others. But, uh, and we were turning right and this bicycle came over Waterloo Bridge from the Waterloo side. If you don't know London, this means nothing to you, I'm afraid. And literally, we missed by minutes. You know, or some microseconds. And because he jumped lights. You know, and I'm surprised all the other cyclists who were sitting there very patiently waiting for the lights to change didn't shout obscenities at him. Seriously, I, I, was, I was that angry. I, I really wanted to take a picture and, and put him up on, uh, on Twitter, which is good. Uh, 84850, steve at Can't believe the price you're all paying for some of these peaches. Bit expensive, aren't they? Bit expensive. Uh, Alex says, loving a bit of Steve Allen on LBC. The one time is not tired is when I've had three hours sleep. Bizarre. I know. It's that, well, you, you know you can get that oversleep, Alex, where you've had too much sleep and that makes you very drowsy. Sometimes the less sleep you've had, the more awake you become. I don't have any choice on this programme. It's not like working on a music radio station where every sort of minute and a half I'm playing another piece of music. This one, you keep going. 
and going and going and going. And I quite like it like that. So, in other words, if ever I've had a, uh, a bad night sleeping, which doesn't happen at all, um, it kind of wakes me up as well. You've got to be fairly alert to do that. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Mark says, the milk programme, shame the farmer spends all that money on the machinery and still gets kicked in the small spherical objects on the price they have to sell the milk at. Yes, I think they get a better price if they're not selling to the supermarkets. Because you can imagine, if the supermarkets are selling two litres at 89 pence, you know, how little the farmers are getting. But that's the supermarkets holding them to ransom. And uh, and I think it's appalling, really. I do. Uh, Fazal, he says, listening to you in Manila, in the Philippines, some boroughs in London do the C-card scheme for people under 25. They get free condoms from pharmacists. Oh, right. Well, in fact, uh, in uh, Twickenham, we have um, a place. I can't remember what it is now. It's for young people. And they can go there and get get condoms. They go in there, and some of them, I mean, seriously, you look at them and you think, good God, they, they don't even look old enough to be doing things like that. But they go in there and they get their free condoms, which is good. Uh, Alex says, Steve, the worst presenter has to be Alex. Alex Jones. Yes, it's been said on many an occasion. Dress sense, zero. Presenting skills, zero. Interview skills and timing, zero. Hopelessly out of her depth and struggling. Uh, I have watched her on several occasions, and apart from Matt Baker, who at times is openly carrying her and is face-cringing, she's absolutely useless. They've tried to sell her, but you can see her failings. You know, some people can do it, and some people can't, and I've, I've come to the conclusion many, many years ago that television really is not about looks. Otherwise, Claire Balding wouldn't be working. I don't, you made me say that. You made me say that. But <laughs> You made me say it. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I take no, no, no blame for that one. But it's it's true that, that you that you can take somebody, put them on television, and they don't have any rapport with the audience. You know, the interviews are weak to say the least, very, very weak. The program, you know, let's face it, it, it dredged up two of the worst presenters, Christine Bleakley and, uh, and the other man who sort of bumbled a bit like this. Work with breakfast television, and then they put him on breakfast television, and the ratings slumped because you know the only reason that the one show was ever successful is because it appealed to housewives because it was at the right time. That's why when, when uh, Alan Titchmarsh was on the other side and Paul O'Grady, they wiped the floor with them because people want to watch a professional show with professional interviewers. Alex Jones is a bit, you know, when we saw her the other week dressed up and miming with Patrick Kilty, that kind of plumbed new depths for me. And I've said before, much as I love Matt Baker, he's better on the farming programme, the, the country file thing, than he is doing interviews. He's just not very good. It's just not very good. Some people get an interview. Some people can't interview. God knows I'm in a business where there are people who think they can interview and they really can't. She's had a good run, says Jeff, and has been very lucky. But unfortunately, a good show is continually ruined. I'm sure she's a nice person, but wrong job. Yes, I mean, I, I, yes, I, I couldn't disagree with you. I, I really couldn't disagree. I always think to myself that it's the, um, it's the sort of show. I, I don't know what the, what the criteria is for doing it. But whatever it is, just sitting there. Staring. I mean, you know, sometimes the interviews are so awful. You sit there cringing. Luckily, when Chris Evans is on, he sort of takes over and looks after it. Matt Baker's not really good enough to lead a programme. And so you've got two people who can't lead a programme. And that's, but, the, but the BBC are very good at pursuing with things. That's why they've kept the voice. They'll stick with it through thick and thin because they won't ever admit that things are, are really disastrous. And that programme is pretty disastrous. I mean, even the people who work on it, there seems to be an army of people. What in God's name do they do? In other words, they're wasting your money. 14 to 6. Steve Allen on LBC. Very interesting. We were just looking about Freddie Mercury, who was uh, 
who was uh, a Parsi, born in the Sultanate of Zanzibar. He grew up there and in India. He was only 45 when he, uh, when he died. His real name was uh, Farrokh Bulsara. And uh, I remember, actually, seeing him on the television and the papers had got a picture of him when he was in the uh, final stages of AIDS. And he hadn't said anything. He didn't, he didn't really want to. I think close friends knew exactly what was going on. And, um, and he died in his, uh, in his house there. I think Dave Clark, although a few other people have also laid claim to being with him when he, uh, when he died at the end. But I think Dave Clark was the one who was there. And uh, then Mary, his best friend, inherited everything. I think she, she literally got everything. Because she'd been with him through through thick and thin, through through just about everything. He was cremated at Kensal Green. And I spoke to somebody because somebody said, where did they scatter his ashes? And I said, I'd heard from somebody who knew that they were scattered in, I think, Switzerland. I think by a lake. There was a lake that he used to go to in Switzerland. And they took his ashes out there and he was scattered there. I don't know what to do with my ashes. Well, not today, obviously, but I mean, you know, I was thinking sort of for future reference. What would you do with them? Do you want them scattered? Well, I thought we could have little bits scattered in the studio. I quite like that idea, actually. Just a little plinth in the corner, which every so often turns round, so a little bit like an egg timer, and it turns round. You go, there, there's Steve Allen dribbling through the, uh, the timepiece again. I quite like that idea. I quite like that. That's quite fun, actually, don't you? Or failing that, you know, I can't think of anything else. I did say I wanted my friend Giles to stand on Richmond Bridge. And I'm, I'm going to record a little thing. It's all fantasy. You know, like everybody does. Like, you always pre-plan things, don't you? You always have to think about it. My boss would be going, I can't believe Steve's talking about dying again. You know, but I was... And I, and I wanted, then, this box to be opened. It was a bit like a scene from Pie in the Sky, where they have these ashes, but as they open the box, the wind takes up and they all blow in their face. And they're all going, no, no, just eating half a grandmother. Which reminds me of a story of a friend of mine who was Indian. And her family, she was over here, living in Isleworth, which is in Middlesex. And her family sent her over some goodies for Christmas to make a cake, which was lovely. And so she, she, she should have lavishly put all this, these herbs and the spices in and all this wonderful stuff to make this, this lovely Christmas cake. And uh, she iced it and it was, it was delicious. And she was going through the box to see the other things. And there was a letter at the bottom, which she hadn't seen because it was under a bit of the, the cardboard box. And they said, you know, hope you enjoy all the ingredients for the cake. By the way, we put some of your grandmother's ashes in a little sachet as well for you to keep. She'd only put them in the cake. <laughs> only eaten a <her> grandmother. <laughs> when, when she told us the story, I have to be honest, I did smile. That was probably the wrong thing to do. But I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Um, uh, <laughs> how about doing an in-conversation with Kevin the Milkman, the black cab poet, or Paul Cooper? Oh, Paul Cooper, you couldn't do 20 minutes on that. Uh, Steve, at my university, we get given free condoms, but have to pay per page to print out an essay. Priorities, hello? Yes, I can understand that. I can understand that. Uh, Daryl in Beckham says, don't go anywhere just yet. I'm enjoying listening to you too much. Oh, I don't, I, I, I don't, uh, I have no intention of going anywhere, he says. Silence in the studio. Small thud. Uh, and I tell you, they just put in the Big Brother house. They put that dreadful old baggage, Ashleen Horgan Wallace or whatever she is. And they put her back in there to have an argument with Helen Wood, who's the former prostitute, who really is the most foul-mouthed woman I think I've ever seen on television. Disgusting. She makes White D look articulate, and that's saying something. Luckily, she's disappeared completely now. You don't, open, you don't see anything about her in the papers. People have finally got wise to that kind of thing. Cyclist Steve, have you seen the speed they travel on the pavements? Yes. Yes, of course I have. I'm, I'm out here in the real world. I see this all the time. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that goes on. And to be honest with you, I think you can, you can find out, you know, that this takes place in every city. 
in every city. It must do. It, it can't just be here, can it, really? Uh, on the subject of uh, eating in the car, which a lot of people are, are talking about today, because that, uh, that woman was pictured in the car, and says, how can the idiot call the cyclist arrogant and not the scoffing driver? How is this splitting public opinion? Remember the woman who chucked the cat in the wheelie bin? I don't remember anybody standing up for her, and she wasn't a danger to the public. No, she worked for the RBS, didn't she? She worked for the RBS. I mean, she was just mad as a broomstick. And, of course, because we've got CCTV cameras, uh, there was a picture of her, and, and she was caught that way. Otherwise, she wouldn't have come forward. No way she would she have come forward. In the same way that the internet troll who targeted the McCanns, because she used her email address, dead easy to find, she'd sent thousands, thousands of abuse and hate. And uh, I've said before, if ever the, anybody sends anything to you on the, on the internet, God, so easy to find. You put them in court, you go to the police, you make an official complaint, and you have them arrested and questioned. And then the police will say, do you want to prosecute? Or if they think it's serious enough, they'll do the prosecuting. Simple as that. It's not complicated anymore. You don't need to put up with things like that. You really don't. Why should you have to put up with it? And I think for the, uh, the McCanns, have to put up with this woman, who ended up, as you know, taking her own life. Taking her own life because she was doorstepped. You know, the journalist turned up because once you do it, in the same way, this, uh, this woman who was driving her red Discovery, you know, will get named and shamed. Why it's not been today, I don't know. Perhaps they'll wait till tomorrow, but I'm, I'm hoping one of the papers names her and puts a picture up there and we can see what sort of person she is. I mean, she might be a married woman with children. Either way, she's a bit simple and a little bit stupid because if she's sitting at the wheel, and I don't have a problem with people uh, eating at the wheel, you know, if it's like a, a crunchy or a bar of chocolate, well, then that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But a bowl of cereal? I mean, really? That kind of takes it... It takes it into another dimension, doesn't it? You can't really understand why somebody would be that stupid. So if it turns out she's got children, I can't wait to see. Here's more pictures of the uh, of the good and the great and the badly dressed at Ascot. And there's three here, and uh, they look a bit chavvy. This is Ruby Dale, Rhiannon Newland and Victoria Wenman... And, and somebody called Sharon Teague. It's all the... They're trying to outdo each other with hats, but to be honest with you, I think understated would be the uh, the order of the day. And uh, also the Poldark star, Eleanor Tomlinson, went as well. But as I say, I wouldn't know who she was, because I never watched Poldark, so it doesn't really help, does it? And um, what else we got? Oh, uh, the woman's obsession with the handbag leading to the theft. And this is Elizabeth morgan Reese outside. She arrived in court on a bicycle. Really odd. Uh, the bus service which fails the elderly. They let down pensioners. I don't know, actually. I, the only thing I worry about buses is that when you actually get on the bus, you know that the driver's going to put their foot down and you're going to lurch forward. I'm surprised nobody ever falls over. I'm really surprised nobody ever falls over. Uh, Boris says, I'm not sorry for my four-letter tirade at the cab driver. Why should he? Somebody abuses Boris Johnson, he's going to turn around and give as good as he can get. Some oiky cab driver sits there going, Oi, Boris, and does, you know, rude things to him. And Boris is going to respond, as indeed he did. And so he's not, why should he apologise? Certainly not, there's no apology needed. If anything, you should have an apology from the cab driver who needs to be checked for anger management. Uh, the man held after the nine people shot dead. He sat with them at Bible study. I don't know why they didn't think in this particular church. Looks slightly odd. You know, white bloke sitting in a predominantly black church. Never seen him before at Bible study. He comes along and then he waits, um, you know, until the end of it. He sat quietly in there. This at church dates from 1816, incidentally. I think it's been burnt down once before. And uh, he reloaded five times. Victims pleaded with him to spare their lives and he just, he just fired point blank. 
and you think to yourself, you've got more than one or two screws loose, haven't you? There's something the matter with you. He'd been given the gun as a birthday present in April. He sat quietly there, and um, Senator Pickney's cousin, Sylvia Johnson, said of the killer, he just said, you have to go. I have to do it. You rape our women and you're taking over our country. Eight victims died at the scene. The ninth died later in hospital. Three people survived the massacre. A huge manhunt was launched. He fled the scene and uh, and then he was caught. I mean, I don't know what... Seriously, I don't know what, what sentence you could possibly uh, give to him. I mean, apart from execution. I can't think of anything. I mean, what... You know, there's, there's no excuse for this kind of thing at all. But there again, in America, they have guns. If he was given a gun for his birthday by his father, he must have realised that his son was slightly cracked. He must have said something at home. You don't just all of a sudden get to the age of 21 and they go, you know, you're in our country, you've done this, you rape our women. These are thoughts he must have harboured before. There are pictures on his Facebook page of him looking slightly peculiar, wearing outfits that, you know, might have started alarm bells ringing. And so his father buys him a gun. You don't, I mean, it, it, it's just too, too depressing for words. And especially as the pastor from that particular church was known to Obama. He was, uh, he was a friend of his. Went, went back years and years and years. And then you have to stand up there and say, I'm terribly sorry, but we've got gun laws in this country. Which means that somebody can be given a gun at the age of 21, 12, whatever it was. And then they can go out and kill people. He calmly reloaded five times and shot these innocent people. He didn't know them from Adam. Didn't know anything about them at all. Just decided to take their lives. And that's why it's so awful. There's a story in the Express today of uh, a lady called Treveline Evans. Uh, 25 years ago, Treveline Evans vanished. Just vanished. She left a note on her uh, shop saying, back in two minutes. That was the last they saw of her. She had a little uh, antique shop. So she's now been missing for 25 years. I mean, nobody knows where she is. Um, the day she vanished, she was seen with somebody matching a description uh, in the back of the shop, having a heated conversation. This man or men have never been identified. And then she vanishes. She only went to the shops. Back in two minutes, she wrote. Put the little note on the door. And that was the last that they, that they saw of her. And they've got no idea. No clues. No trail. No nothing. No CCTV, I should imagine. I like the story of, uh, of women spending two days a year on the phone to mum. This is in total. Women will phone their mums and they will chat and chat and chat and chat. And the older I've become, I suddenly realise it's very easy to spend an hour on the telephone talking to friends. Sometimes I'm, I'm on the phone to friends and I go, I've got to go and charge the phone up. We're, run, we're running out of juice here at the moment. Stories in the papers. And if you have joined us, good morning. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen with Early Breakfast. It's Friday the 19th of June. The Muslim families who blame the police... For their children joining ISIS. You couldn't make it up, really. Want to live longer? Diet five days a month, and that'll be that'll be good for you. Did the rapper's dark songs drive a young rugby star to kill himself? The white man in a burqa held in Watford, I believe, over a bomb scare. The dog biscuits which saved the diabetic. And how much to repair Parliament? Seven billion? You're having a laugh, aren't you? No, they're quite serious. It's LBC. News is next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday. Whoopee. Whoopee. We're all very excited about Friday. Over in Big Brother, they've dragged in a sort of 21 former housemates. My God, the times have not been kind to them. They're all looking old. They're as... 
as barking mad as they were first time round, and they think this is going to boost the ratings. I don't think so. It's just, uh, it's dismal, I'm afraid. It's tattooed Royal Ascot. Yes, they're out there now in their tattoos. It's uh, taken it to a new depth, which it has not been to before. Uh, sunbathing can help you get pregnant. Don't bother getting your washing machine repaired. It's cheaper to buy a new washing machine. Because sometimes your repairs can be £60, £100, whatever it happens to be. Go and buy another washing machine. And uh, the real menace on our roads, the probe into the fake online reviews. And welcome to the Islamic Republic of Tower Hamlets, says Richard Littlejohn in his column. For today, not quite understanding why Michelle Obama picks a school that... Uh, does that reflect what's going on in Tower Hamlets? Is it is it all Islamic down there? That's why he called it the Islamic Republic of Tower Hamlets. I mean, she probably didn't have the faintest idea what the school was. They just pointed her in that direction. Probably never even heard of Tower Hamlets either. But she went there, and people seemed fairly happy. They got pictures taken, and everybody, you know, was the first lady, for goodness sake. And I should imagine it's every day that people like that uh, go there. Uh, 84850, and uh, Richard says, Freddie and the rest of the Queen wrote and recorded the last album, Made in Heaven, in Montreux. He knew he was dying, and uh, that was the last album. Oh, yes, he knew he was dying, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's why I think his, his ashes are scattered, I think, by a lake, definitely in Switzerland. Because somebody told me who'd, uh, who'd been part of that... I can't tell you who it is, but part of that entourage, and they said that's where he... Because up until now, they've, they've never said anything. They've never said where his ashes were, were being scattered. They wanted to keep it private. Otherwise, all the fans go there, and still by the house. They're still right over the gate, still down at Abbey Road. They're right all over the wall there. Every so often, they paint it over, and then they start writing all again. So if you go back through the years and years of the fans writing, you've, you've probably got quite a little bit of a history going on down there. But still interesting. Weather for today, let me tell you, I might as well give it to you now, just in case I forget later on. Variable, amount, variable amounts of cloud. Bit of sunshine as well, which is OK. Feeling warm in the afternoon sunshine. Uh, the best of which will be in the southwest of the region. Mainly light winds. Today's temperature 17. Sunset is at 21.22. I mean, how do they know these things? How do they know that? Tonight, the clear spells will be fairly short-lived. More likely further south with the odd rural mispatch. And then Saturday, sunshine and showers for a time on Saturday morning. Cloud thickening. And then in the afternoon, the showers turning heavy or thundery. High tomorrow, 22 degrees. That's about 72 degrees Fahrenheit. For Sunday through Tuesday, Sunday is sunny periods, isolated showers uh, further north. Monday, cloudy with showers or longer periods of rain. Tuesday, mainly dry. And after a fine sunny morning, cloud increasing in the afternoon. So um, it's back to the showers again. I'm afraid you're not going to be too pleased about that for the weekend, especially if you're jetting off on your holidays or something like that, in which case, you know, it's going to be terrible. Terrible. Uh, somebody said, Steve Allen, the hourglass figure. I could be, actually. I, I quite like this idea. Uh, Patricia says, I fell when the bus lurched and was in hospital for eight days. Uh, the police won't do anything with the woman eating cereal at the wheel. When it goes viral, they see it uh, as unfair. At the best, they'll just have a word. Well, I think it's. Uh, I think she should definitely get three uh, three points. Three points. You can quite clearly see what she's doing. She's eating cereal at the wheel, and the law states, and it's not complicated. You're supposed to have two hands on the wheel when you drive. So, I saw somebody the other day. I was I was going down into Kingston to do um, to do something, and. Um, and there was a car reversing out onto a main road. Totally illegal. You're not allowed to reverse onto a main road. You're just not. It's just ridiculous. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, another one here says, So Steve, says Tony B, you can chastise Mitchell for calling police plebs. Um, 
obviously got a very good memory. But Bojo swears at a member of the public and you praise him. He wasn't a member of the public, he was a licensed taxi driver who was rude and offensive to him. Come on, Tony. Man up. Man up. Wasn't a member of the public. He was a member of TFL. He's a member of the licensed taxi trade. He swore at him. He did. He told him, we've seen it. I've heard it. So, uh, not a member of the public. Don't, don't try and sort of paint him as something he's not. He's quite clearly a man with an attitude problem. And, of course, and he swears at him. Of course he does. Why should you want to stand there and be insulted? You know, in the case of uh, Mitchell for calling the police plebs, they didn't call him anything. In the case of the taxi driver, he was rude to Boris Johnson until Boris turned around and said, why don't you do one? Which, of course, is quite right. As indeed I'm telling you, Tony. Do one. There you go, you see. So that's how it works. Uh, a lot of people telling me about buses lurching about all over the place. I'm sure I remember seeing years ago a joke spoof thing about bus drivers being taught how to, how to drive and how to make sure that people just about missed, you know, getting onto the bus in the days when you could. Tesco, Steve, eight, sorry, ten donut peaches for a pound. Woo! Unbelievable. Another one here. Uh, this is from, uh, from Steve. What's happened to television? Says Steve, I was wondering whilst watching Royal Ascot, why are they just pandering to the lowest common denominator by employing these young sixth form type presenters who have no natural ability or presenting or knowledge on the subject? Well, that's why they put Claire Balding on, Steve. That's why Claire Balding is there. I mean, she's flawless because she's got horse racing going through her blood. But the other people, I don't know, actually, I'm 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 sort of thinking I'm sort of thinking that. You know, they do try out younger people. Some of them know what they're talking about, but a lot of them are just presenters. And at the moment, I think the uh, the way of doing Ascot is they have to bring in Gok Wan to talk about the fashion. And so he can talk about what's what's trending. Oh, God, I hate that word so much. I go into HMV and they've got the word trending this week on above their, their new albums. Uh, what they need, Steve, is the masterclass in presenting and interviewing. It's time, Steve. International Rescue needs you FAB. Otherwise, they'll bring back John McCrerick. Oh, God, no, we don't want those days again, do we? John McCrerick, good heavens above. He was a dinosaur, an absolute dinosaur. In fact, he was even worse on Big Brother. I think we've, we've sort of seen the end of buffoon presenters. Do you not think so? On the television where we used to have people, you know, waving their arms around like windmills. A bit like watching Nick Abbott doing this programme in here. Every time the lights go off... He has a bit of a breakdown and he has to stand up and wave his arms. I find it hilarious. I think it really annoys him. I think it's very funny. But no, John McCrick had to move and uh, replaced by Claire Balding uh, because she knows what she's talking about. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't know what he was talking about, but uh, she was in the trade. I think people go and they do say it. Some they say, oh, no, she's only a woman. What would she know about it? Well, that's that's her, her family business. That's the family. bit. if you read her autobiography, you'll know that she knows loads and loads of things about uh, about horses, so that's why they put her on there. Admittedly, not on every blooming programme. That does become a little bit tedious. But on, on the racing, she knows exactly what she's, uh, what she's talking about. And I, I don't mind that, as long as it makes it entertaining for me. And she's good. She'll sort of say, oh, this horse last time out was so-and-so. And I think, that's clever. That's clever. I, even I don't know stuff like that. Even I don't know things like that. Um... Another one here, Big Al says, enjoying the second half of your show, since redundancy from the Royal Mail. God, you must be the only person who's ever been made redundant by the Royal Mail. I have a very good postman. Very good postman in, in Twitter. I mean, a very, very good postman. You know, all, I've been lucky with all my postmen. They're all really nice people. Seriously, they're, they're, just, they're just really pleasant. People say to me, oh, aren't postmen terrible? Not round my way. I've got great postmen. Do you have good postmen? Do you know who your postman is? He's lovely. See, all postmen are nice. They are nice. Admittedly, the shorts thing, I'm not, you know, but they've given him a little cart to push all his posts along in. A bit like an ice cream man. I expect him, 
That's what, oh, well, I get a lot of fan mail at home. I don't like to brag about it. It's embarrassing. Oh, is that Glastonbury? Is that where you're going? Oh, God. Loony people on the television. Is this Glastonbury or is this some other festival? Looks like Glastonbury, doesn't it? You can always tell it's Glastonbury. Mud. <laughs> I don't, there he is, Michael Evis, who looks... What is that uh, religious group in America? No, not Mormon. They're, um, they, they live Amish. That's right. He looks Amish. I mean, you wouldn't miss him. If he shaved that beard off, you, he, he could walk around unnoticed there. But because he's got that beard, everybody knows. And apparently, according to Will, the producer, people go up to him and hug him. See, I'd have the police called him, idiot. I don't want to be hugged by anybody. Did you go and hug him at three in the morning? Oh, Lord. Apparently, he'd had, he'd had a couple of Ribenas with chasers in. <laughs> I couldn't, I, you know, nothing on God's earth would ever get me to Glastonbury. Unless somebody said, listen, we've hired a huge Winnie Bago, Steve, that sleeps six and it's just for two of you. And, uh, and you, you've got your... Well, I don't know the other person. I'll just find somebody. And then also it's got its own private toilet. On second thoughts, the Winnebago better just be for one person. I don't want to be in a Winnebago and somebody else is using a toilet. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work for me. But I've never been to Glastonbury. I've, there are three things I've never done in life. Two things. The, uh, the first one is I've never been to a football match. Never been to a football match. And the second one, I've never been to a festival. Glastonbury or Isle of Wight or Reading or anything like that. Never done any of those sort of things. And, you know, I think I'm a better person for it. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20. I, I hate to mention something horrible. Uh, but it was on the LBC website, and I think uh, James O'Brien was talking about it yesterday. And it's this festival of dog meat that they have in one part of China. As if, and Ricky Gervais has said, and in fact even the Chinese people who are anti this, saying it's not... You know, people in China don't eat dog meat. There's just one, a little few, a few groups of people who eat dog meat. And these dogs mainly are stolen. And they're people's pets. Some have still got collars on. They're thrown in these cages. And then they're butchered in such a tragic way in front of other dogs, which, I mean, is just absolutely horrendous. And I sort of sat there watching this thing the other day, thinking, this is just dreadful. Why are we allowing this to go on? And apparently, uh, Ricky's got this uh, campaign going so that you can send an email off to the governor of this particular province in in China to say, you've got to stop it. They realise that the world attention is focused on them and they've tried to scale it down because they're not in favour of it. But they appear not to be able to actually stop it completely. And it's dreadful, absolutely dreadful, that people would eat dog. I mean, give up, don't you? Give up. Uh, I saw the footage on YouTube, says Lee. It's obviously the, uh, of the driver eating. She's not the only one doing it by the amount of others. Oh, you can find people sitting there. I've seen people shaving. I've seen people putting makeup on at the wheel. I've seen people reading maps on the steering wheel going down a motorway. I mean, they're really the stupidest. It seems that those... I mean, we were going down... Where was it? We were going to Costco in Watford a few years back. And as we are going down the road, this car in front of us, um, the woman was reading a map. And then she lost control of the car. She lost control of it. And so the, she was doing about 60 miles an hour. The car then lurched to the left. She tried to bring it back round to the right. And then quite clearly, when we sort of drew level with her, she was obviously having a panic attack or something. But uh, the people eating at the wheel is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever... It seems those with well-paid jobs and drive expensive motor cars think the law doesn't apply to them. Now, that's a silly thing to say, because you don't even know what that woman does. It's got nothing to do with a well-paid job. You know, I've seen people in white vans sitting there eating and smoking at the wheel and stuff like that, so it applies to everybody. And it doesn't have to be an expensive motor car. Sometimes the crummiest cars are out there. Cyclists on the pavements, police will do it if they see them, uh, but it's low priority, even though it's illegal. But it is low priority. 
84850stevenlbc.co.uk. Uh, uh, I must read the front page story um, of the Daily Mail today is the Prime Minister saying too many British Muslims quietly condone extremism. They don't, they don't say anything about it. You can't find people to talk about it. And it's interesting, the families have blamed the police. In the case of Amira Abbasi, one of three schoolgirls who ran away to join uh, ISIS in February, her father refused to accept responsibility for his daughter's actions and blamed the police. The fool. It later emerged that he'd taken her to an extremist rally when she was 13, and he's finally conceded that she may have been influenced by the process which was staged by the banned terror group Al-Mujaharun. I mean, you know, the idiot sat on television going, the police should have done this and done that. He's not the only one. Shamina Begum, 15, travelled to become a jihadi bride. She followed a girl from her school, Bethnal Green Academy, who fled to Syria. Her sister Renu said, we would have prevented it if we knew there was a terrorism investigation. It would have made us know how serious it was. What, you have no idea what your sister was doing? God, blimey. Zahira, Kadja and uh, Sugra Dawood, relatives of the three sisters who travelled to Syria with their nine children, complained they didn't get proper support and guidance from the police. About time you started looking on your own doorstep. Goodness me. Nasser and Asil Mutana. Nasser Mutama, 21, and his brother uh, Azil, now 18, travelled from Cardiff to join the jihadists. And uh, it's, uh, Nasser is suspected of involvement in a death squad which beheaded Syrian soldiers. Their father, Ahmed, claimed white police officers had failed with the trust of Welsh Muslims. He said they didn't employ the right people. They didn't let them melt into the community. You foolish man. I know, none as stupid as dumb parents. And God knows these would have to be some of the dumbest parents. They had no idea. Good Lord, why didn't the police help us on this one? Why didn't you do something about it? Why didn't you do something about it? Stop manning up and doing something yourself, for God's sake. Daily Express this morning, quickly, front page. Gang tried to snatch British children from Holiday Hotel. It's a horrendous story, and uh, luckily it uh, had... um, a good ending, as opposed to it could have had a bad ending. And here's um, somebody dazzling at uh, Lady's Day at Ascot. Doesn't explain one of Andrew's children being there, does it? I have to kill you. This is the Rate Hate Massacre gunman. Um, uh, what do you do with him? I've got no idea. The, uh, the story about the girl being snatched on holidays, front page of the Mirror today. And also the ugliest and most famous dogs in the world. They're dogs for whom, you know, the word attractive does not fit into their vocabulary. Um... The Sun, this morning, Clarkson, BBC, asked me back to Top Gear days before Evans, and he turned it down. So why would you turn it down? Because he had a job somewhere else, presumably, and they were offering zillions of pounds. Um, doping investigators rang Mo Farah's doorbell in vain for an hour before the Olympics. He didn't hear it. Is that how dope testing is working? Well, they go round your house, and he didn't hear it. So, uh, you know, whatever. Independent, America's shame... The suspected killer had been given a gun by his parents for his 21st birthday. And uh, as President Obama said, this sort of violence doesn't happen in other places. You know, Charleston, last place you would expect it to happen at all. The Times on the front page, here's Nigel Farage, receiving a replica medal from Napoleon Bonaparte, played by Frank Sampson near Waterloo. Uh, the true cost of, of rescuing Parliament is about £7 billion. £7 billion. In other words, they've just let it just fall apart. They've obviously done sweet nothing for years and years and years. Um, the Daily Telegraph, Farrah mystery. Why did the Olympic star ignore the drug testers? Who knows? Who knows? We'll probably never know the answer. And uh, everybody is condemned. E.L. James is grey. 
This is the follow-up to Fifty Shades Week. They said it's the most appalling thing they've ever read in their life. Even hardened journalists have been condemning it. So many, co- There's loads of copies in the office and nobody wants to take it home. It's that embarrassing. I'm thinking of starting a small fire, actually. Or a bookstore. Did I mention I've got a book? Anyway, that's it for the, uh, for this morning. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back with you on Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to this weekend. I, re- I really am looking forward to this weekend. I've had a haircut and everything to celebrate the fact that there might be a bit of rain. Because I like a bit of rain. And uh, I might have a cooked breakfast this morning in preparation for the meeting, as they say. So I hope you'll join me on Sunday morning on LBC with Clive Anderson and Mira Sayal for In Conversation. And then I'm live between six and eight, sandwiched quite nicely in between Beverly Turner and Stig Abel. Well, actually, I'm at the beginning of it and then you, you get them after me. Have a great day. If you want to listen to more of LBC, you can download the LBC app. I'll have a free podcast up for you in about 15 minutes looking at a few well-chosen celebrities. If you missed any of today's show, get that podcast app available for iPhones and now Android phones. It's free. It's on lbc.co.uk. Coming up at seven this morning, Nick Ferrari and The Breakfast Show. But next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news. This is LBC.